everyone, and welcome to the Cannerman's Podcast, Volume 8, Issue 389, The Donkey Kong Country Trilogy. You can play along with future uh, Kane and Rince issues. We have upcoming Final Fantasy 13, The Evil Within, Batman, Arkham Origins, uh, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain, returning to some rare favorites with Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, and rounding out with Donkey Kong 64. You can keep up with the uh, current schedule and all upcoming scheduled shows at this time um, for uh, not only Kittlerins, but also our sister podcasts, Sound of Play, The Sausage Factory, and Playwright on Kittlerins.com. You can get each show a week earlier than non-subscribers for just $1 a month on our Patreon. That is the equivalent of 81 pence or 0.91 euro at least uh, as of the time that I copied <laughs> that information. Great. That is patreon.com slash rinse. <laughs> we have Canon Rinse streams live on Twitch and YouTube. Check in on our forum or on our Twitter to get kind of a schedule of upcoming shows. Um, recently, Mikhail has been streaming some Donkey Kong Country 3 streams, which has been very entertaining as well and relevant to today's topic. We have regular presences on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as does every podcast. So really, let's just move on with the show. <laughs> uh, joining me, your host, Ryan Heyman. It's been a long time since I've been able to say that. Um, but as eagle-eared listeners, eagles famous for their ears, of course, uh, as eagle-eared listeners uh, may have noticed last week, Leon, um, perhaps even accidentally, made a pun. So under Kanan Rin's law, he was fired. Um, so, you know, I don't know what, what the future holds for him, but I'm hosting until until we re- reorganize. Uh, just, you know, we, we're really strutting the puns around here. So I'm your host for this week, and I'm going to be joined by Brian B.E. Edwards. Hello. He's the leader of the bunch. You know him well. It's M.K. Mikhail Croder. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. And he has no style. He has no grace. This man has a funny face. Mr. Darren Gargett, DG, Darren Gargett. <laughs> yeah, Leon was fired from a barrel into uh, a bee or a wasp. I forgot what they're called. But yeah, he <laughs> definitely lost his last life by making some ridiculous puns. Hello, I have Donkey Kong here. <laughs> and if I married M- Mikhail Croder, as I mentioned earlier, off recording, I would be DK. So you know. <laughs> it's only right. It's destiny. It is. It's my favorite. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe before the end of the show, we got two hours. And I can't think of any more romantic situation than talking about the Donkey Kong games. For sure. Nature's aphrodisiac, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) We are continuing the Donkey Kong series, so to speak. This, uh, I think this is the most significant turning point in the series. um, Handed off from uh, the original Donkey Kong arcade game starring Jumpman and uh, featuring Donkey Kong, now Cranky Kong, as the antagonist and uh, transferring ownership over to Rare, who would run with this series and kind of make Donkey Kong what we know it to be today uh, with Donkey Kong Country. If you want to go back and follow this entire trajectory of the series, we recently discussed Donkey Kong, the arcade game and the 1994 Game Boy game in Canon Rinse issue 375. Let's go into this. Um, Donkey Kong Country, which was released as Super Donkey Kong in Japan, uh, released back in 1994 on the Super Nintendo. Uh, A follow-up Donkey Kong Land was made for the Game Boy in June of 1995, and Donkey Kong Country was ported 
not ported necessarily, but uh, remade for the Game Boy Color in November 2000 and the Game Boy Advance in June of 2003. It was developed by Rareware and published by Nintendo, directed by Chris and Tim Stamper, and designed by Greg Mails, programmed by Chris Sutherland, with some really exceptional art. And we'll go into this, um, into the the techniques that they used to put this all together. This is one of the major uh, points that I think made this game stand out. Um, but we just wanted to give shout outs to Steve Mails, Kevin Bayless, Mark Stevenson, and Adrian Smith for the artwork. Um, has some very famous compositions, uh, mainly led uh, for this first entry by David Wise with some backup work by Evelyn Fisher and uh, Robin Beanland as well. It uh, debuted to pretty good reviews, actually. On the SNES, it got an average of 88.94%. On the Game Boy Color, uh, scored a bit higher at 90.38. The Game Boy Advance uh, saw a bit of a dip down to 78.61. And the Game Boy game, Donkey Kong Land, uh, scored a 74.53 across outlets. Uh, This is uh, the third best-selling SNES game of all time. Uh, it sold 9.3 million units on the Super Nintendo. These are, of course, all estimated numbers. Uh, 2.19 million on the Game Boy Color, 1.82 million on the Game Boy Advance, and 3.91 on the Game Boy. And I guess it's worth saying, since it was re-released on the SNES Classic uh, just two years ago, last year, <laughs> somewhere around there, the SNES Classic uh, landed this in 5.28 million additional households. Mm. So it's safe to say this uh, game has been uh, in a lot of hands. Yes, indeed. <laughs> on IMDb, it is uh, rated by 1,981 people as an 8.7 out of 10, which just about lines up with the uh, critic reviews at the time. Let's go into our own personal histories with this game. Brian, how far back do you go at Donkey Kong Country 1? I remember getting the uh, issue of Nintendo Power that had Donkey Kong Country on the cover and looking at the screenshots in the magazine and and being blown away. So at the time, I was 11 years old, almost 12, and I remember just begging for it uh, from my parents, and they, they, they thwarted my advances until Christmas that year and then got it for me for Christmas. And then I remember rolling credits on the game two days after Christmas, and my parents were <laughs> pissed. <laughs> so, but I showed, I, I remember bringing my dad in and showing him, like, no, you gotta check this out because every level has these different secret rooms and caves and other stuff in them. So, um, like most of us at that age, that wasn't just that wasn't just another game for me. That was my that was my one Christmas game. So it was basically there to to, to fill the need what I couldn't borrow from friends, you know, between then and my birthday. So I played the absolute uh, hell out of the first Donkey Kong Country and um, never got to 101 uh, percent, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. I I, I struggled to get that last uh, that, that last percent. I remember I had the file with 100 on it and I tried like mad looking after strategy guys to to get it. But um, but did just about everything you could do that first time through so yeah, i played it to it, it to exhaustion honestly so it was a, a very fond memory so you use your uh complete uh your uh, completion percentage to prevent your dad from sending an angry letter to nintendo <laughs> i think so yeah exactly he would have had to call my uncle who worked at nintendo of course um of course. <laughs> no uh, yeah they were they were they were a little frustrated but uh once he kind of saw it and and then even then my dad who, who played a lot of old atari games and stuff back in the day he we were just all blown away by the visuals so it was mm. pretty easy easy sell to them that it wasn't worth fighting over <laughs> so <laughs> so my history with donkey kong country is pretty like 
foundational to who I am as a person, I would say. Donkey Kong Country is the earliest memory that I have of any video game. And I never owned a Super Nintendo, but whenever I would visit, there were, you know, a couple people, uh, kind of family friends down when I was living in California, and then a couple of kind of extended family members that lived across the street from my grandparents when we would visit them in, uh, in Washington. And they both had Super Nintendos. And whenever I was there, like I was just just so magnetically drawn to Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2. Like that was it, like, it was like magical whenever I would see these games. And so I have so many memories of of playing these games. I can't imagine very well. And I I never did like a you know, from start to end playthrough when I was a kid, I would just kind of jump in whatever levels they were playing at the time and just being so transfixed by these games. I I love the game so much that I used to buy the player's guides, which I would read from cover to cover and look at all the maps and imagine Donkey Kong running through all of the levels, memorizing all the, the enemies' names and looking at all the renders and the pictures and stuff and the pages and uh, subscribe to Nintendo Power. Like I was a, a huge, huge fan of of Donkey Kong. When I found out that there was a Donkey Kong game on the Game Boy, I needed to have a Game Boy and the Donkey Kong game. And so that was one of my Christmas presents was a Game Boy Pocket, one of the nice gold ones. It was really cool. And uh, it came with Donkey Kong 94, which I was really upset because that wasn't the Donkey mm. Kong game that I wanted. <laughs> um, but I did end up getting uh, Donkey Kong Land eventually. And played the hell out of that one as well. I remember it being very, very difficult, but I just really enjoy just kind of everything about this. And then ever since then, I've gone back to this game and uh, especially the first two games in this series so frequently. Um, every time they're re-released on a different Nintendo system or via emulation, like I'm I'm tearing through these things all the time, it seems like. So um, yeah, uh, big fan. And I have a long history with it. <laughs> Nikhil, how about you? Um yeah, it's it was quite the event, uh, the launch of Dunk, uh, Donkey Kong Country. Uh, already, um, it wasn't even announced that long before. I think maybe six, seven months before uh, the game was released, uh, magazines started filling up with screenshots. Um, the Nintendo offshoot of Meme Machines, uh, so there, um, which was called Nintendo Magazine System of the time. They ran a feature on this crazy, futuristic-looking, uh, technology-wise futuristic-looking uh, game uh, that they saw on either the CES or the E3. I don't know if E3 already existed at that time. Otherwise, it must have been the Consumer Electronics Show. And these were all terrible screenshots just taken with a, with a photograph off the screen, you know? There are no, no direct screen captures, of course. But even from those muddy, uh, desaturated uh, screens, you could already see that there is something special about this game. So there was, uh, yeah, from the, that uh, 1994 summer leading up to the winter, there was a lot of anticipation already. Also, what helped to add, uh, add to my excitement was that uh, in 1991 summer holiday we spent in France, me and my brother really got into this arcade game called Toki, uh, Juju Densets, which got a high-res re-release not too long ago on, a, on the Switch. And uh, we found it completely magical. Only you were an ape running through the jungle, shooting multicolored bullets from your mouth. But uh, that game never really got a, a decent home port on a, on a home console, on a, on a, you know, let alone a Nintendo system. So I was also hoping that uh, Donkey Kong Country would capture some of that 
you know, that feeling of being a being a big ape and, uh, and running through lush tropical uh, environments. So when I very vividly remember going out uh, to the store and uh, getting it, and it was one of those games that even, you know, I would just not shut up about to people. I would talk about the, the, uh, the, the 3D pre-rendered graf- uh, graphics, the, the rendering techniques, because I read it all from magazines. So even to people that had no interest in video games, you know, but even to them, my enthusiasm was, <laughs> was kind of infectious. Uh, yeah, I, I loved the hell out of it. It was when I think about back about that time, it was like it feels like I was a child, like this, I had this sort of childlike enthusiasm for it. But I was already like 18 years old, and I, at that time, I lost my virginity to my first girlfriend. And me and her were playing playing the the game like in the, the two player tag team mode. I, sorry, Mikhail, not to interrupt you. That's not what losing your virginity means. Um, <laughs> we're gonna have to yeah, have no, this that... talk off mic. I think. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, I'll let you have that joke. <laughs> I won't start clarifying <laughs> um yeah so i don't know um it's it's definitely it was a very special time darren this um i think you're somebody who people associate pretty closely with donkey kong this might be an answer of uh i don't need to have played it i've lived it but what is your history <laughs> with donkey kong well, country quite the contrary to um McKeel over there who popped his V and played DKC. Um, I, I, I don't remember playing this game at all when, when it first came out, right? I, I remember seeing it on Games Master, Bad Influence and other kind of TV shows on the weekend that used to chop and change between movies and gaming. Like, oh, this new one's out. And I, But like most SNES games back in the day, my brother had the SNES. So whatever games were in the house were the games that he bought or borrowed of friends. So I, I remember playing DKC on the snares around a friend's house like most you know most of my um, stories do with the snares but i never really remember sitting down and buying it or playing it until pretty much you know i was my own adult self and went backwards towards the rare stuff of the snares days which wasn't that many you know there's only like three four games right uh, on the snares from rare i completed it on emulation i remember that i mean i got my gaming pc yeah and then i've been dabbling with it on the on the the wii virtual console which is where i ended up playing it again uh, so as we alluded to earlier, this is a semi very, very loose follow up to the arcade game. Um, it doesn't have very many links backwards. And I I was just amused in my own research at some of the links that people have uh, speculated upon and found uh, between these titles ever since then. So in the SNES game, they talk about how the current Donkey Kong, the one that you play, the protagonist of Donkey Kong Country, is the grandson of Donkey Kong from the arcade, who is now known as Cranky Kong. Uh, Rare's Donkey Kong's father was Donkey Kong Jr., presumably, from the arcade, who was the child of Cranky and Wrinkly Kong. Uh, Donkey <laughs> Kong Jr. is completely absent in the Donkey Kong Country games, and uh, we don't really know what happened to him, but there's all sorts of wonderful fan speculation. There's wiki pages written about the Great Ape War and, you know, speculation about why are all these uh, Kremlings wearing wartime attire? What happened to Donkey Kong's father? You know, there's there's, there's really great stuff published by the community about this. Uh, the only time that uh, Donkey Kong, rare Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong Jr., presumably his father, have been in the same place at the sp- same time was in one of the Mario Tennis games, uh, which are presumably non-canon because of other 
continuity type um type snafus as well but just <laughs> throwing that all out there it's worth reading up on <laughs> the old dku eh? it's a complicated thing <laughs> well, as we've seen in smash bros recently k rule and donkey kong have uh, have made up yeah and uh sleeping in each other's pads now so that's that's nice that was um, nice. anyways the story of this game is pretty straightforward although um the way in which it's told is uh, pretty variant between the different versions. Um, there's actually like an animated cutscene with a lot of dialogue in, I don't remember if it was the Game Boy Color or the Game Boy Advance version, but uh, it kind of gives a bunch of unnecessary detail in the same way that um, <laughs> Donkey Kong Country 3 uh, contains a lot of, of dialogue for some reason as well. It does, but yeah. uh, basically the story as of the SNES version is that uh, Donkey Kong is just kind of minding his own business. He uh, wakes up one morning to find that his banana horde has been stolen and his friend Diddy Kong, who was guarding this banana horde, was uh, stuck inside of a barrel. So he's going to uh, to go in some kick some ass to try to get his bananas back. <laughs> and we do just that throughout the course of the game. Uh, so the game stars Donkey Kong, of course, um, the titular character. His little friend Diddy Kong, who um, has some interesting differences to Donkey Kong, uh, you might know him from uh, from being an enduring character in uh, in Nintendo history ever since then. Uh, but we'll circle back to some of those gameplay differences later on. Uh, King K. Rule is the big bad guy in this one. He has most recently come back for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, where he is uh, starring as one of the one of the brand new fighters, which is very cool. Mm. Cranky Kong, his grandpa, who's uh, who's quite um, cantankerous, beats him over the head with his cane and tells him long-winded stories. Uh, Funky Kong runs the the booth that lets you travel between worlds and is kind of a cooler, uh, you know, 90s cool version of Donkey Kong. Uh, <laughs> he's got a uh, bandana and sunglasses and he surfs on a surfboard, you know, cool guy. Uh, Candy Kong, his girlfriend, presumably, she's always blowing him kisses. Although I guess she blows Diddy kisses too, so maybe it's more of a, a mutual understanding. She's she's full of love. Yeah, <laughs> and she and she has hairy legs. She does. The uh, the Kremlings serve as the main foes in this one. They are crocodile or alligator like enemies that walk on their hind feet and come in all sorts of different shapes, sizes, and colors. Uh, and you uh, you run with a series of animal buddies as well that you can ride upon uh, throughout the game. It's quite interesting with the, the lack of story in this game because the intro doesn't really allude to anything of the sort, right? It's kind of Cranky Kong playing his little stereo, you know, his little stereo, his little vinyl player, and Donkey Kong's come swinging in with his boombox and it all kicks off, right? But that, that, that to me was kind of like... Is this the story? Like, is it just two monkeys having an argument over music types? Like, it's just strange. Like, I, and, then, well, and then, you know, you turn it on and it's like, oh, actually, he's missing his bananas. Who, yeah, it's, it's a really strange setup for the game because you don't really get anything, really, other than just some, just some madness. So what do we think of um, the, just the, the overall premise of, you know, it's, it's a very different, and this is something that I keep coming back to with this game, is that the game feels different than other platformers at the time, mm -hmm. which tended yeah. to be more kind of cartoony and um, bouncy and colorful. Uh, this game has lots of colors, but more kind of pastel color-y. Um, I, I tend to associate kind of the Marios and the Kirbys and stuff at the time. 
Um, and this game came across as being a lot more naturalistic, a lot more moody. Mm-hmm. And then I, I've said this on the uh, Sound of Play where we went through some of the uh, Donkey Kong music, but kind of the pre- prevailing sense that I got from the original Donkey Kong Country was a sense of loneliness, of being just kind of the biggest and baddest thing in the jungle and having the uh, have just kind of fighting against nature in a way. There are intelligent enemies, but a lot of what you're doing is like you're navigating tricky treetops and you are a lot of the enemies are just kind of the animals that would be out there you know just attacking because that's what they do the snakes slithering around and the armadillos and i guess that's kind of an odd fit for the jungle but anyways um it is a it's a very different feel uh tonally than a lot of platformers at the time the way that the worlds were kind of set up and and the, we'll probably talk about this a little bit more but the the world design and having these kind of contained biomes for lack of a better sense for each kind of level as you mm-hmm. go through did add to that sense of loneliness and i felt like the farther you got away from your shack and your you know your treehouse basically the more kind of exotic the more kind of alone you were the more kind of out there and i mean aside from your your you know, surfing sunglasses, wearing buddy, you know, <laughs> having a shop every once in a while. But it, it, no, I, I I felt that, too. And I remember playing the game as a kid. There were actually some parts that I thought were legitimately, I don't wouldn't say scary, but definitely kind of had the, you know, there's some r- scary parts. R- yeah. Wrap wrap the blanket around your waist a little tighter and, you know, and, and hunker down <laughs> because like, you know, because things are going to we're going to be down in this mine. It's going to get dark. And um, mm-hmm. yeah. so, yeah, this there definitely was a tone to this game. And I'm not sure danger or edge probably isn't the right word but there was a tone to it that made it seem like only a few levels in like that second level is a thunderstorm the first level is bright and sunny the second level is level just thunderstorm rain these jumps are hard and it it kind of was sending that message intentionally or not i'm not sure but this wasn't another mario game you know kind of right off the bat you kind of knew that not just because of the way it looked but because of the way it played it and definitely that tone Mm. felt like it had more gravity to it for sure for me anyway the music also plays a major part in this, of course. If it would be very upbeat and cheery all the time, it would definitely uh, give off a different atmosphere. I think one of the prevailing feelings that uh, goes throughout the entire series is that um, it does a really good job of maintaining momentum and encouraging you to kind of barrel through at full speed. You know, you, you saw some of that before with like Super Mario Brothers 3 encouraging you to keep up your speed to give you extra um, extra height when you, uh, when you do your little flying move. But, uh, throughout this series, it's, it's kind of a test of trust more than a test of precise platforming acumen. Like you learn to read the signals that the, that the designers are sending you. They'll the place ba- a the banana, banana somewhere. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. And just learning to react. You start understanding that there are certain sequences of enemies that they will always place, like where you yeah, can hop yeah. a certain number of enemies, you can bop on them in a row. Or how like rolling through an enemy kind of recharges your roll and allows you to go through the next one. And that, that always feels really good. But it's all kind of building towards keeping a pretty strong sense of momentum throughout most of the game. Yeah. And uh, this really comes through, especially in the levels that are more kind of naturalistic the jungle and the and that kind of thing but as you get farther into the game you start to encounter more kind of industrial levels mm-hmm. and those always seem to have a little bit more of a stop and go feel to them you know you start to feel like even though like you can't really associate k rule with any of the industrialization like there's not really that link made <laughs> yeah. in game you get a sense that something is encroaching upon the island 
overall though for me like this game has got attitude and it has got mood and it's got like all sorts of range of emotions and it's all going for a, a very similar well a very cohesive vibe but to me it kind of it seems like a more grown-up platformer mm. like when you compare it to the other ones around the time like zool and i don't know cool spot and other things like that this this to me is what sonic should have been with his attitude like and i like sonic games on the mega drive don't get me wrong but like if it was going for a, a kind of a, a grumpier character a more assertive kind of moody character for me this like dkc kind of nails it a bit more with its kind of 90s attitudinous yeah and that, yeah. that, that comes from the the darkness of the levels right and then the music that goes with it and the thunderstorms and stuff like that it's not necessarily mm. about donkey kong putting the middle finger up at the camera and saying you know come on get on with it <laughs> it, it, it does it in different ways right it does it in different ways it kind of it presents to you like this really kind of no, yeah. drastic environment and you have to fight through it you said exactly what i wanted to bring up in the show because the narrative indeed is that it was uh nintendo or rare's answer to uh disney's uh, uh, aladdin on the mm. on the mega drive but i always felt like yeah, I mean the barrel blasting where you get flung across levels. Uh, mm. The 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 intro where uh, DK throws his uh, his stereo or his ghetto blaster down uh, at yeah. uh, at um, Cranky Kong Cranky. and the 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 tooth the attitude of this yeah, game man. and and the you know the Western advertising also especially the American advertising with the whole play it loud stuff really mm. yeah really ties into this as well. I think it was you know. Nintendo of Japan could have never made this game. Mm. And if you would see later, like uh, Yoshi's Island and mm-hmm. you know Nintendo, real Nintendo style platformers, this is really not this. So it's almost like Nintendo got rare to sick sick rare on uh, on Sega uh, mm-hmm. with with this game. Like it was a, a more cool, a more flashy, a more fast, and a little bit more attitudey answer to the Sonic games for me. Yeah. As someone who who lived in America at the time, like that that marketing worked on me as an eleven year old. You know, I mm-hmm. I picked up like I was Diddy Kong, and I picked up a barrel that said TNT on it, had a fuse on it, <laughs> threw it at this big buff uh, lizard wearing a bandana, and he just exploded. <laughs> and I thought that was just about the coolest Whoa. thing I'd ever seen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I was like, this yeah. is just. I mean, yeah, this, I mean, what's what's better? You know what I mean? It even has monkeys. Like you know, I mean, this is just the best game I've ever played. You know, so that that marketing and that tone definitely worked. You felt you felt like you were playing something that did have not that not that you shouldn't be playing it but it had that yeah that kind of there's those little edges to it that made it feel mm. like it was poking in a direction that maybe the games that you'd played before hadn't poked at before yeah definitely so let's talk about we've uh we brought it up a number of times but the graphics are i think what make the strongest first impression um all built on silicon graphics technology uh, to create these 3D models that were then rendered down into 2D sprites uh, so that they could uh, run on the SNES. And it creates a very, very distinctive look that's kind mm-hmm. of unlike anything else of the time, really. Um, it was a response to the Mega Drive's Aladdin game. Yeah, it, it's it's both kind of naturalistic, but keeps a very stylized cartooniness to it. It's really impressive. Of course, we don't have um, all the time in the world to go into... Uh, some of the graphical techniques that they use to squeeze that much detail into yeah. uh, into the SNES, but there's some really really impressive uh, retrospectives out there that talk about how everything was done, how they fit it on the Super Nintendo, and then how they fit that into a uh, a Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance game later on. It's absolutely crazy the uh, the kinds of of tricks and stuff that they have going on here, but. Um, a lot of really nice touches, like like objects in front of the screen, things in the foreground, things in the background that create like a really good sense of of three D space. There's some 
parallaxing in the far backgrounds as well. That's a really nice visual effect. Um, there's uh, both over and underwater sections that uh, play and look completely different. Um, Mikhail, I know that you posted a link about um, some of the uh, some reporting on the graphics. I'm I'm curious, what is your what is your impressions of of the way that this game looked back then and looks today? Back then, it felt like something tangible all of a sudden you know it, mm. you weren't looking at flat flat uh characters uh on on flat backgrounds anymore it's like you could almost reach into the screen and touch these sort of plasticky puppet things that were running around with real ri- lifelike animation and you had all this all this very realistic lighting going on uh for like Winky's walkway with the, with the with the, mm. the the rocking uh rocking lamp in the in the, in the top that actually yeah. has some sort of yeah crazy real time lighting effect on it and it's one of those games that if you now play it on a LCD or, or a modern screen, you see the cracks, you know, you see uh, mm-hmm. th- like the, the lack of colors and a sort of harsh, yeah, harsh borders between different colors and uh, uh, a lot of pixelization. But I've been uh, gone back to the trilogy on uh, my uh, one of my CRT screens and it still looks with the with the contrast and uh, the the scan lines and just the, the the phosphor glow it still looks kind of magical if you look at it from uh, from that perspective so you can sort of when you go back to the that, those type of screens you can sort of see all over again why people were completely wowed by this this graphical technique i think that is definitely worth acknowledging people that are going back to the game today are going to have a very different experience to uh playing this game on the original CRTs. I think it's a game that benefits from the blurring of the pixel lines. Yeah, for sure. In a way that uh, I think a lot of old pixel art games still look really good with really hard chisel pixel lines because there wasn't really any attempt to hide that everything was just kind of, you know, squares on screen and Mm -hmm. everything was built around that limitation and still looks pretty good or sometimes even better the crisper the screen is but this one um as it was trying to make more of a approximation of reality and create more gradient colors and everything the uh the noticeable pixels especially on bigger screens are um are not always a becoming addition to the game uh it does improve in two and three but uh yeah, you know, it, it's one of those allowances you just kind of have to make as a modern a modern player. And the silicon graphics uh, technology uh, to jump ahead slightly has uh, was incredibly influential. I mean, even you even started. It wasn't uh, just like a, a quote unquote tacky uh, Western graphical technique either. You started seeing uh, a lot of developers on the Neo Geo embrace it, for example, and later on the on the Dreamcast. Uh, but one thing that DKC still has over a lot of these games is that they use pre-rendered graphics, but they use them as sprites and they animated them as traditional sprites. But mm-hmm. uh, Donkey Kong Country has very fluid, lifelike animation on the characters. Yeah, and that's that never ceases to impress. Yeah, I think the first time I played this game, actually saw it in motion on a, on a TV, was at like a 
kiosk in a Sears in America or just it had this bubble over the SNES and the TV there for you. And it was one of those moments. And I've probably had a dozen of these over the years where, you know, I thought out loud or thought to myself or said out loud that can graphics get any better than this? You know, it was one of those moments. Mm. It was one of those like like mm. it was like that that big leap forward. And obviously we'll say that again. And I said it with Cuphead a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? Like we'll say it a hundred <laughs> times. But you just yeah. say to yourself like like, wow, can like it was one of those moments where you realize the potential of where things could go yeah. and. And the influence that it had, I mean, can't be understated. Uh, it can't be overstated, excuse me, because um, that, that technique of, of what you said, the 3D rendering turned into sprites, I mean, was adopted by a lot of Neo Geo games. A ton of fighting games used mm-hmm. end up using the tech, that technology to kind of to, to make them to, to make it feel a little bit more real. That whole popping out of the screen effect. And um, yeah, it just it, it still looks great um, when you know played in the right way or, you know, it played with the proper equipment. For sure. And I would even argue that it was so successful a graphical technique that it uh, basically determined the direction of Nintendo's next uh, console. Mm. Because Mm. as we all know, the N64 is based on silicon graphics uh, Mm -hmm. workstation techniques. Yeah, it kind of makes sense that they went all in, didn't they, really? Because I guess they kind of knew where it was headed. So they went all in with these, you know, three DKCs and Killer Instinct, worked it out from a you know, from a kind of an early level and then went from there with a 64. Yeah. And yeah, Rare have always been, and still are, I think, at the forefront of pushing like their consoles, whatever console they're working on to like its full ability. I don't really, there are maybe a couple you could pick out um, on the N64 that don't look particularly great, but generally Rare games, they, they kind of push the boundaries of what, you know, games can look like, like Viva Pinata, Jet Force Gemini, you know, Donkey mm. Kong Country. It always like, kind of looked half a generation ahead of everything they, else. Yeah, yeah. They always like, you always wondered how they were squeezing out this extra tech from the same box that produced games like, I don't know, Gex 64, for example. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, <laughs> how is it even possible? Like, these wizards over here are making some absolute, you know, massive moves with this uh, box that's been under my TV for years. Uh, let's go on to the music and the sound. We did discuss the music of the series at length back on Sound of Play 60. It was Darren and myself. And so Mm. um, perhaps we don't need to spend a ton of time with the music again, other than to say that I think I think it's generally pretty well regarded (laughs) within uh, within the uh, gaming community. It's it's something that I hear covered a lot and referenced back to quite frequently. But um, the sound design was always something that really stood out to me. This game did an excellent job of creating very distinctive sounds for all the creatures and certain sounds in here that kind of almost trigger like an ASMR reaction, like the <laughs> the hissing of the snakes is just very, very good. Yeah. And the the clang of the metal barrel on the wall is very good. And I love uh I love when you're in a cave and everything kind of echoes the dripping oh, yeah. of the water and everything it's, like this. It's so just, great. Yeah, it really sells the sense of space that you're and, in. And one thing sound design-wise that I think the original DKC has over the other two is that you have this very sa- satisfying bop sound when you jump on an enemy yeah. Yeah. combined with the, the screech or the scream of the enemy when they uh, fall off the screen. Exactly. <laughs> but yep. I mean, the, the DKC 2 and 3 only have the enemy sound effect. They don't, they don't have that bop sound anymore, mm. which is odd because that felt so great. Yeah, it's got a very good dripping water sound effect that kind of, mm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, like, like yeah. you said, Ryan, a- ASMR, AMSR, it kind of really just kind of resonates something in your brain, like drip. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in a wet, smelly cave. Yeah, they do a really good job at selling your location via yeah. Um, yeah, audio. Like the, uh, the, the Stop and Go station is one of those tracks I recorded, and it's one of the more undersung tracks, I think, and it's more, it's very minimalistic, but it has mm. this serious 
undertone and this sort of clanging of metal in the in the mm. in the back here. You could almost have it as a soundscape of uh, the Mines of Moria, you know, in uh, in Lord of the Rings. It's a very yeah. unsettling track. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, sure. Of course, the uh, we can go into the the music forever. Um, we're kind of pressed on time. We've got a lot of games to get through, but please do take some time to uh, do some additional research. There have been some wonderful video documentaries made about the soundtrack of the series. And uh, of course, our sound of play, which we referenced earlier, like there's, there's no shortage of stuff written about David Wise's and uh, Evelyn Fisher's work yeah. in this game. And it's, it's really not only from a aesthetic perspective from, but from a technological perspective, another, how did they do it moment mm. uh, on top of so many other, how did they do it moments um, really makes for something special. The track aquatic ambience li- literally changed video game music essentially forever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you can see direct parallels between the moodiness of that tune track and the moodiness of the dry, dry docks theme from Mario 64. Mm. And you can make connection after connection after connection to what this video game soundtrack just influenced in the industry. And and it really, and, and obviously, I'm not going to talk about it forever, but it just, it changed things in such a fundamental way that, that, that music from all games that were made after this could, can't be viewed in the same light just because it had such a ripple effect on the industry. It's, it's really impressive and fun to go back to. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, let's get into a little bit of the gameplay um, so we have two main characters, Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong, and um, they play mostly the same, but there are some differences between them. They can each defeat enemies in different ways. Uh, there are a couple enemies mm. that I think one Donkey Kong can roll through and Diddy Kong has to jump on and then vice versa. Um, but you get the impression that Donkey Kong is a bit stronger and Diddy Kong is a bit weaker. I think the differences between the Kongs become more pronounced in later games. Yeah, definitely. But um, here, you know, there's there's a little bit of variance in some of the ways they interact with enemies. Also, and we'll go into one of the one of the kind of primary mechanics that set this series apart from other platformers, and such a small thing, unless you're really mm. kind of in the weeds, is being able to mid-air jump, and not in the same way that Crash Bandicoot can like double jump in the air, mm. but like you can roll off of a ledge. And then as long as your roll animation is still playing, (laughs) you can jump from wherever you are in the air, which oftentimes you can use to gather collectibles that are below the plane of the the ledge that you're jumping off of, which would otherwise be impossible. And I always got the impression that Diddy Kong was a little bit better at that than Donkey Kong, uh, which is why I think it was always called Diddy Jumping. But uh, (laughs) I don't know whether that was actually like the numbers and the coding and the physics of the game or whether that was just because diddy's cartwheel just reads a lot more cleanly like where he is in his rotation cycle it it activates very very quickly off the mark of course Uh, it gives Mm. you a quicker response time maybe this is maybe this is also a good point to just touch on just how unique Donkey Kong Country feels to play in terms of its uh, Mm -hmm. core mechanics. If you look at uh, Western and Japanese or Eastern design of platform games in those days, Western uh, design platform games were all about long drawn out animation cycles and like slow startup times for jumps where a character first bends the knees and then lifts off the ground. Uh, and uh, Japanese games were all about instant response and uh, s- stronger key poses uh, that uh, were yeah, and, and shorter animation cycles. And in a weird way, Donkey Kong Country sort of combines these two 
which makes it feel very different from any other uh, series of platform games because the long drawn out animation uh, cycles are there. But like, for example, if you press jump with, with Diddy, he will bend his knees and jump up. But there is no, that it looks like a startup animation, but as soon as you, that animation rolls, you also have already lifted off the ground. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically, that animation is just there for show. It, it doesn't govern uh, your movement. And yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's really quite quite different and unique. I feel. Darren and Brian, how do you feel about the the jumping, the running, the the game feel of Donkey Kong Country? I think it took some getting used to, at least for me, still, and especially going back to it for the way that you would hit that roll, and once once that roll started, or the the roll or the cartwheel started, like the that forward momentum, like really would push you ahead. So I would find myself sometimes like getting ready for a big jump or kind of trying to line it up, and I'd I'd hold the Y button to run, and Donkey Kong would just roll off <laughs> off the ledge into the and you know die mm-hmm. in the in the in the hole. But um, in general, I think it I think it feels pretty good. And and speaking to what Darren was talking about uh, kind of a while ago with the momentum and how you feel like you can really like get like get moving at a good clip and go there are some great moments in this game where you're just bouncing off enemy head one to another to another to another where yeah, you just yeah. you feel like you are just like you've just mastered the controls of the yeah. game so and then you you hit a sequence of barrels that are yeah. moving but yeah. you know exactly when to time you're yeah. uh, you're firing and you just shoot through uh, through these t- sections yeah it, it does a good job of making you feel like you know exactly what you're doing so and um mm. but there's but there are still times that, uh, where i would get frustrated particularly underwater i know we'll talk about that a little bit like where i felt like it just like either the hitboxes on the character or, or just the complicated mm. animation animation actually didn't service the mm. gameplay for me as the player um so there were some parts like that but in general um even going back to it now i just it, it felt it felt real nice yeah it definitely has its own um weight and especially as donkey kong right and, and i i always put diddy kong first if i've had <laughs> me both, too you know uh, it, it was just it was it was my go-to, and then if I had to fight the stronger enemies, then I would you know high five and tag back in. But ultimately, I was a Diddy player with uh, Donkey Kong as kind of like my my super mushroom. You know, it was kind of like just there <laughs> just in case I needed it, sort of thing. I think the game overall plays pretty well. I just got a few like reservations with like I, I know it's all limitations of the hardware. Like they're playing it now in 2019, like I feel like the camera's too close sometimes, and it kind of moves mm. around kind of a bit too freely as well. Like the the sway of the camera was really kind of off-putting for me mm. playing it this year. Like I, I felt like the camera was often expecting me to run as fast as I could, so the camera would often just sway to the right a little bit, and I'm like, well, not ready yet, and it's just already going off without me. It's got a very kind of free feel about it, especially like going up and down in the underwater levels. I always felt like I was getting caught short by the, by the camera. This might also be a bit of a issue with the, the GBA games. I don't, you've been playing th- those the most well, recently, the, I think, the right? The first one I was playing on the Wii Virtual Console mm-hmm, via mm-hmm. emulation, right? So it was kind of like emulating the SNES game. So yeah. even then it was kind of imitating, like it was, you know, it was imitating the SNES. So it still had the same issues. I, I, I gather the... Um, you know the SNES cartridges do. Yeah, for sure. There, there is this sort of camera snap thing uh, because it always wants to show you the level ahead. So when you turn yeah. around, the sort of camera quickly snaps uh, to the other side, which can sometimes be disorienting when you change mm-hmm. left and right directions very That's fast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and I, I just kind of wish it would pull out a little bit just so I could see what was going on. But I understand that they can't draw that much on the screen at any one time because of how busy and interesting it looks right so there's mm. there's that to take into account but it also did affect my my enjoyment of the game sometimes when you were you were encouraged to barrel through 
um, so much at such a speed. And all of a sudden, like a wasp would just come off screen and just pop you on the head. And you're like, oh, mate, like, where did you come from? I'm sure <laughs> the audio feeds into this. And you, you know, you would do get a, a rhythm for the audio going through the level, like the clangs and the buzzes and the, the snaps. Like, they all feed into your kind of feedback for the game, right? So you know what's coming based on this noise. But sometimes, you know, you don't have the music on or whatever. You're just doing something else. And uh, yeah, you, you can't hear the nuts that the vultures are throwing and stuff like that. And they're so busy, lost in the environment that you can't see exactly where they're going. So the game for me, yeah, it has quite a few drawbacks in terms of playing it in 2019 as a platform game. But I do still feel like it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, like the, the the rush from me from this game comes from the barrel blasting, and once you get it down and you understand when to press the button, it's like you know some spin around and some you have to press to activate and some activate automatically. But like when you activate one by accident and you go off at a different angle and you land in a secret barrel that just <laughs> spins you yeah. off across the level. I think it was one of the snow <laughs> levels. I hit it by accident and it just pinged me across like maybe fifty percent of the level, and I was like, well, that was an accident. You know, that was just totally greeted with love like because that level was kicking my my bum at the time and i accidentally found this invisible barrel that just spun me to the end of the level and i just thought god like someone thought about that at some point <laughs> someone went right someone's gonna mess up here so let's give them a little you know a little um leg up and we'll just get them to the end of the level because they're obviously struggling mm. i just think out of the three that i've played this year um i think the first one because it's the first one right they were finding their feet i feel like it doesn't hold up as a, as a well as a classic really when you when i compare it to the other two i do feel like this is the the worst of the three but despite it still being enjoyable you know it's got that kind of 90s attitude of absolutely being rock hard um and you know like, like most platforms games were back in that day but uh yeah. yeah i just feel like if it was made now well like like donkey kong uh, tropical freeze and the returns like there would be a, a few more kind of accommodations for the player nowadays yeah, but i understand that maybe the hardware limitation of the 90s was is exactly why I found it a struggle in 2019. That and they I'm are, just tired. They are pretty punishing uh, as games, the, the DKC mm. games. I mean, it's basically a one-hit kill, right? If you don't have a second uh, yeah. ape uh, it, or yeah. monkey behind you. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty pretty unforgiving. If you haven't played these games for a long time and then go back to them, it might you're in for a rude awakening. Yeah, this game definitely has um, classic 90s gameplay elements is what I'll say and that it will just beat you around the head and go ah if you deal with that one you're like okay i will but you know and you got the save points that you kind of have to in, in, a, in a very 90s fashion like you like my time's limited nowadays right so for me to get to six levels of just pure stress in a, in a, in a place that i'm already quite stressed as it is you know wherever and then i have to get to a save point with five lives <laughs> to get through six levels of pure just oh, like yeah i don't want to be on guard for a minute my unique position in life at the moment didn't really lend itself well to a stressful mm. DKC playthrough. I think that's all fair enough. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of open the door. We've talked about the underwater sections. We talked about some minecart levels. Are there any really kind of notable levels that you wanted to to uh, bring up before we kind of close out on Donkey Kong Country 1? Um, we talked about the stop and go station, which is genuinely terrifying. You, There are these near undefeatable enemy, enemies that uh yeah. that run back and forth very quickly but will take a little nap if you hit a barrel uh and uh turn the lights red and yeah. they'll uh that'll only last you just basically like as long as you need to get to the next one so mm-hmm. you are uh you know you are in hostile territories the entire time but they they included a a very nice uh skip for the entire level pretty much if you just kind of go left at the beginning instead of right but yeah. um yeah cool level i like it yeah i mean there's a lot of there's 
different level themes, right? You've got your uh, your jungles, you've got your caves, you've got your mines, you've got your pine wood forest, etc., etc. I could go on for a little while, uh, but uh, every level plays different uh, because of the unique set of challenges they introduce in there. You know, you got like uh, a level that's all about uh, moving ropes. Uh, you got a level that's all about uh, barrel blasting and. Uh, you know, we're moving a, a platform around and collecting fuel for it to keep it going. And I think this is when you guys speak about gimmicky levels, this is sort of what you what you mean, right? Like there's a, a gimmick that the level evolve around. But I, I mean, gimmick is kind of a negative word, but I really like this sort of design because it makes each and every level, even though there's recycled assets, makes it kind of memorable and there's a unique challenge that you face and no two yeah. levels really play mm -hmm. the same and this is i think this donkey Kong country on the low is one of those the games that started this sort of uh platform game uh yeah design ethos and you see it back now uh, in in big budget 2d platformers that get released like the the, the at least the console new super mario brothers games for example have have all these levels that have unique uh, revolve around unique challenges. The the Rayman uh, Legends and Origins games also mm -hmm. have this, and of course the new Donkey Kong Country games too. Let's uh, let's round out our Donkey Kong Country conversation by talking about this final fight against King K. Rule, which is a uh, you know the boss fights throughout the game are underwhelming. They're pretty like single screen. You know they're yeah compared to the rest of the game. I think that there are some clever encounters. There's a couple that are just like very very basic. A couple yeah, clever they're just, encounters, they're, but they're they're blown up blown up versions of uh, regular enemies. Yeah, I, I I was even back then I was kind of disappointed by the by the boss fights in this game. Yeah, but King K. Rule is kind of on a whole other level. <laughs> whole other level of difficulty as well. I remember it's taking true. ages to beat him uh, when I when I first uh, played through the game. This is very much a memorization fight, which yeah. you know some people like, some people really don't. But it's got it's got that music. It's got a different setting. You're on a boat, like looking back at the island that you've been on the entire game. Yeah, um, it's got uh, some humor to it. You know, the the King K. Rule character I think is really well animated, and he, he has some really funny moves. There's kind of a, a fake out credit sequence sequence right in the middle of the fight uh, mm -hmm. when you think that you've won the first time around. And mm. uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a good fight. What are some uh, some thoughts on King K. Rule? As much of a rare fan I am, right? Rare boss fights, especially the last ones in the games, are just they just they just push me to my limits, man. And I guess that's the whole point: is that you've reached this point of the game, you should be equipped to take it down and uh, you know have a have a have a have a challenging time. But like playing this one out of the three, it reminded me of Gruntilda's fight in Banjo Kazooie. It's just, it just seems to go on forever, forever. and then it fakes yep. you out. And it's really hard, and it's just <laughs> like a real test of patience more than anything. Oh, yeah. But yeah, but I do agree with you, Ryan, that the setup is really cool on the on the is, boat and the, the music and it, everything. Right? But uh, yeah, I, I I've always found this uh, end boss fight uh, more than a little bit aggravating as well. Once you nail it, you can repeat the same thing over and mm -hmm. over again because at that point you have it memorized. But it's yeah, it's a real memorizer. There's nothing that what he does, it, it doesn't challenge you necessarily from a platforming perspective or, you know, it just it's remembering, oh, you know, what does he do this time or what, you know, what's this pattern? The speed at which some of the stuff like ramps up from phase to phase Definitely. and then he'll kind of then he'll kind of slow down just a touch. Like it's just enough mm. of a change up to really you know screw with you. I it got to the point with this one that I like, like Mikhail said, I, I had played it so many times that I could repeat it now 
probably in my sleep, at least for Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2, because I played those mm-hmm. games so much. But um, but yeah, I remember the first time going through it, just kind of setting the controller and walking away and just kind of having to you know get a glass of ice water and re- reassess, rethink, <laughs> and come back yeah. to it. You know, it's really like, And the fact that you play on the, you know, the Gangplank Galleon setting mm-hmm. is just a perfect lead into the sequel, right? And it's, it's a great uh, segue. Before we get to Donkey Kong Country 2, I wanted to uh, touch on a few of the other versions of the game. Just a few differences between the versions to highlight. The uh, Game Boy and Game Boy Color versions only had one character on screen at a time. Um, They would swap out just due to the memory restrictions of the platforms. Uh, The Game Boy version, Donkey Kong Land, had a few different worlds. Uh, Gangplank Galleon Ahoy, Kremlantis, Monkey Mountains, Chimpanzee Clouds and Big Ape City, which might just well be the same new Donk City that we got in uh, Super Mario Odyssey. I've seen that uh, speculated about. K. Rule is fought on a blimp there. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, the Game Boy has many new enemy types, including a flying pig. Uh, the Game Boy Color has has extended one of the levels and has included another level. Uh, the Game Boy Color has two new mini games, uh, which I briefly tried out: Funky Fishing and Crosshair Cranky, which are not great, but they're little distractions <laughs> like you would get in these types of uh, remasters. Uh, Game Boy Color has two difficulty settings: one removes star barrels, and the other removes DK barrels. So, if Donkey Kong wasn't hard enough already, uh, the Game Boy Color and Game Boy Advance versions had auto saves and save anywhere instead of the candy save points, which is wonderful uh game boy advance added prologues and epilogue and game boy advance had uh included some extra elements in some of the boss fights and has a dancing mini game with candy which i um, played on emulation a little bit as well in prep for the show it's uh I, i feel like the first song is mapped pretty well to the rhythm uh it's really weird like she says like great job after every note that you hit correctly which gets a bit annoying after a while but then the <laughs> subsequent songs like they don't seem to match the rhythm and so it's a it's more of a of a just watching the arrows and not listening to the music which kind of mm-hmm. defeats the whole purpose but anyways let's get on to donkey kong country 2 diddy's conquest or super donkey kong 2 dixie and diddy as it was known in japan this was released on the Super Nintendo back in 1995. It was uh, later released on the Wii Virtual Console, the Wii U Virtual Console, the new 3DS Virtual Console, and uh, that's it to this point. Not yet on the Switch and not on the SNES Mini, depending on who you ask. Uh, Donkey Kong Land 2 came out on the Game Boy in September of 96, the year following, and Donkey Kong Country 2 was re-released on the Game Boy Advance in uh, 2004, but I don't think any of our panelists will have any information about that port, unfortunately. Is that is that the case, Darren? Sorry, I was in a totally different world then. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> You're going to have to say that again. No, that's okay. We're moving on. <laughs> You're in the credits. Anyways. I, I am, yeah. Alongside Shigeru Miyamoto, which is kind of alongside being a dad. It's one of the best things I've ever done. <laughs> uh, Donkey Kong Country 2 was developed again by Rareware, published by Nintendo, directed by Tim Stamper this time around. Uh, designed by Greg Mails, who also produced, and uh, Andrew Collard. Programmed by Chris Sutherland with um, Steve Mails, Mark Stevenson, and Adrian Smith returning as artists. Composed exclusively by Dave Wise this time around. And reviewed better than uh, the original game all around. Uh, on the SNES, it was an 89.81% as a uh, critical consensus. Uh, GBA was 81.14%. 
And the Game Boy version, Donkey Kong Land 2, scored a 79 across critics. Um, it sold 5.15 million on Super Nintendo, which is quite a step down from Donkey Kong Country 1. On the Game Boy, Donkey Kong Land 2 sold 2.35 million units, which is a still pretty healthy and respectable number. User reviews are pretty similar. Uh, on uh, IMDb, uh, 1,186 users gave this an 8.6 out of 10. All right, so um, Donkey Kong Country 2 began production as a Virtual Boy title for a very, very short time, but moved to the Super Nintendo due to the Virtual Boy's failure. Apparently, the dev team had gotten as far as programming the title screen before scrapping that project. (laughs) Oh, this this title screen sucks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This title screen's too red. I can't do anything with this title screen. (laughs) Yeah, I, I know that the Virtual Boy had a short lifespan, so the uh, the story on this game, and this game has a completely different setup than the previous game does. I, I really respect that this game isn't just doing the same thing twice. Um, it's it's not just kind of revisiting the familiar ground and giving us more Donkey Kong. Like it really takes it in a different direction, but uses some of that familiarity of the the playstyle to to land you in a new setting, new tone. In this game, Donkey Kong gets kidnapped, and it is up to Diddy Kong his. Uh, less powerful uh, counterpart from the original game uh, to take up the mantle of saving him along with his girlfriend, I believe, girlfriend or cousin, or maybe both. I don't know. Monkeys, whatever. Yeah, she's his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, girlfriend. Uh, Dixie Kong, who joins them as well, who is uh, probably my favorite addition to the series. She's wonderful. Like she has yes. a, a great design. She's got, I mean, she is, is it at all controversial to say that she's the better of the two characters to play? <laughs> is there any downside no, to playing as Dixie Kong? I, I, I actually tag between them quite a lot. I think hmm. Diddy is quicker off the mark with a lot of things. So when okay. I want to get through something very fast, I usually pick Diddy. Then when I start want to start floating about, I switch to yeah, Dixie. I mean, yeah. Dixie Kong's design is so interesting when you look at it from uh, yeah the light of the twenty um, first um, century because. I think she really epitomizes that mid-90s Brit girl power aesthetic a la the Spice (laughs) Girls, actually, Mm -hmm. when you you look at her. She Mm. has that... She has that sort of uh, girls-can-do-anything attitude uh, while still rocking pink. Even in all her little animations, uh, you know, the way she rocks out that, uh, on the guitar when, mm, when she yeah. hits the top thing. And when, when you tag her in, she doesn't just do the high-five like Donkey did with uh, Diddy. No, she boots uh, Diddy up the rear and then uh, steps in his place <laughs> like, uh, let, let the girls handle this, mm. you know? So it's yeah. really that sort of girl power mid-90s mm. thing that she's exemplifying. That that second level where uh, where you really kind of see her strengths kind of uh, evolve for the first time where it, you see the banana trails go off of a jump like into mm. nowhere and you're like, there's no way I can make that. And then you and then you remember Dixie's new, you know, hover power. And then on top of that, what, she picks up the barrel with her hair and you have the circle of B or the zingers above you and you, just, you can just jump with that barrel above you and the takes out the bees like from that second level on i was like i will be playing as her unless unless death (laughs) makes me do otherwise you know she just um her the the new arsenal and the and her new abilities the ability to if you're if you fudge a jump to just slam in that y button and hope you can hover back to where you started Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) it just 
it, it, she really did add kind of a um, took the same gameplay, but just added that extra element of almost like a I don't call it a fail safe, but, you know, like like that, that second chance you know, be like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. I screwed this up. Let's go back and do it again. Like she just she has a lot more depth, I think, than than just standard Diddy. Donkey Kong and Diddy Kong. We spoke about it earlier and how they we really couldn't work out their differences here. you got a clear cut case of like, no, Dixie yeah. Kong can float for a bit a la peach from mario 2 right so you can see pretty much and feel straight away why you'd play as either of these characters whereas in the first game you were kind of a bit um and an r and you had to feel it out based on you know if you bounced on one guy you couldn't knock him out as diddy so you had to be donkey kong in in this game in the second game it's like no if i want to get somewhere fast or if if i'm feeling a bit cautious or chicken Mm. i'll just be dixie and float across the whole level and see what happens you know what i mean like you've got a more obvious option in terms of gameplay styles and uh mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah. dixie is just it's, she's just the absolute it's what the series needed in terms of variety and i just love her banana ponytail when you pick something up it's just <laughs> it's just it's just great like it's there's there's not a lot to be said and um about her negatively other than the fact that she wasn't in dk64 she was replaced by um yeah tiny 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 Kong. yeah tiny yeah, yeah. Dead, but with- another uh <laughs> another thing that pleads for uh Diddy not being made obsolete by Dixie is. That, have you ever tried to do the Diddy jump with uh, with Dixie? Yeah, it's not as clean. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. Yeah. And again, that also feeds back into my a minute ago statement. Like, there's clear yeah. cuts of exactly. why you should and shouldn't. Right? Yeah, and it's uh, a lot more balanced. Agree, than yeah, I think Diddy is m- kind of built for the speed running in a way. Because, you know, he holds the barrel out in front of him, which means that he can just kind of like plow into anything in front of him Mm. without any fear. If he's holding a barrel, then he can, you know, run straight into an enemy and it'll be fine. Whereas Dixie, if she's holding a barrel, it's above her. And so when she runs into an enemy, she uh, takes a Mm -hmm. hit. But yeah, I think a really nice balance of characters. They both have interesting use cases. I like that it's easier to play as Dixie in most scenarios. And if you are favoring Dixie and you get hit, your second life in a way is uh, markedly different than the first time around, which you didn't get as much in the first game, which is a, a really cool way to kind of like put you on the ropes if you're already feeling mm-hmm. the the pressure. Mm. So uh, this game, uh, the first game was more of a jungle and industry type of game. This game is more about pirates and horror, which is a very different tone and a very different uh, general aesthetic. Uh, So you start off the game on a pirate ship and eventually you kind of wander through haunted amusement parks and haunted forests and and swamps. And it's just it's a lot darker. But again, I don't think it it doesn't feel edgy. It doesn't feel like it's trying to, you know, to to it doesn't feel like it's trying to be like cool in the same way that sonic did like it's just mm. almost in a tim burton-esque uh sort yeah. of way yeah yeah and and, and, to, and like a tim burton-esque thing it also has a little bit more whimsy to it i feel like mm. the 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 sounds and the character animations and, and kind of um even with the ghostly enemies that kind of have that it's not really attempting to scare just kind of has that spooky kind of woo type of more sound effect to it um yeah. where it really does feel <laughs> like you're just it's um like a it's an adventure you know it feels yeah. and right from the music right at the splash screen right at the title like like it just seems mm. like you're in, embarking on this epic adventure mm. as opposed to uh not that the first one was any necessarily different it just it has that tone right from the beginning to me it just screams yeah. more of like hey this is going to be weird and quirky and fun and um 
And yeah, I just, uh, I, yeah. I personally like that tone a lot. That music uh, that you mentioned on the, on the title screen is also very Danny Elfman-like, I think. Mm-hmm. If you put all of Rare's history into, like, into a bubble, like, or whatever, like, this game for me will come up to the top first. Like, th- this is kind of, it epitomizes Rare's attitude for uh, visual and audio design. Like, it, like, Rare have always flirted with horror-based stuff or like you know like mm-hmm. spooky based stuff like mad monster mansion and just like there's so many things feed back into dkc2 and i do believe or i feel like dkc2 set a trend going forward for how rare was would like you know design their games yeah like i'm gonna spoil my feelings on dkc2 but i still feel like even now it is in every way just kind of a step up from the first one and it's uh it's a classic for me. Like it's an absolute stone cold banger. And the reason why I'm saying it now is because it sets off its stool, like you said, Brian, with its music and that kind of real bassy kind of mm-hmm. like you feel like you're on the ship <laughs> and you're going with them, right? Yeah, you feel like exactly. you're, you're actually part of the team and you're like, oh my, it really sets out its stool really strongly. That tone of just pure confidence just rides through the whole game for me. And it's just like, no, DKC2 is up there with Mario World, Link to the Past, and it's just an absolute banger and the fact that i'm even part of it on the the kind of middle in tier uh, gba port is kind of like yep i've got goosebumps now talking about it if we're allowed to go back slightly to the pirate theme uh (laughs) what maybe what i love most about uh, the pirate theme is is how much the kremlings seem to embrace it i think they all Mm. went to a costume shop they all got the pirate gear (laughs) together and they all got dressed as as a bunch of uh rowdy crazy R-rank pirates. And that, that thematic through line persists through the entirety of, of the game. You know, like, like you, you never lose that aesthetic. And I think, if anything, what this just shows is that, and, and, and I am, this is purely presumption, that, you know, the first game was kind of that, they had they had the story, they had the theme, and it was also the test to make that graphical style work. You know, to, to mm-hmm. there was that first implementation. They they had done all, already had done a lot of the work from the from the technical standpoint, and this was just like it's that natural next step evolution. All right, we'll take the building block we've made, but they're like let's come up like okay, so this is this is the story we're going to go with. This is the theme we're looking for, and the world just feels so much more well realized as opposed to they're just oh here's a snow world and here's a jungle world like this is just like a it really feels like you're you're climbing up that island as opposed to just going from place to place it um and 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 the continuity of the enemies like you said the the costume shop (laughs) that you said like they (laughs) it really does feel like this is these pirates have taken over the island and they're everywhere and 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 that you never lose sight of that throughout the entirety of the game. And yeah. and I just think, I think even, even when you are in a hornet's nest outside of a ghost theme park, it feels <laughs> like it doesn't feel out of place to me. It feels yeah, like no. that's where it's supposed to be. And, and it does a great job of just selling you that whole vibe right from the beginning. It will say, I think even now Donkey Kong country one still looks like a you know, pretty attractive game, but like every single time that I play these games back to back, I'm still pretty floored by like how much better this game looks yeah. from a graphical perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, the, the pixels are smaller, like, you know, the, the kind of rough edges that you get on the modern TVs is minimized here. Mm-hmm. Um, the animation on the enemy is just the rats just look so good. They're, they have so much character. They have so much like good animation choice going on mm. i love the the i think orange kremlings that climb up the ropes and slide down yeah are just a lot of fun the squishy sound of the beetles I, I think the further you go into this game the more and more like really brilliant choices there are just as far as little graphical details like yeah. my very favorite thing in the entire game is uh in the forest levels 
where you see the the, the god, god rays, rays of the sun peeking yeah. through oh, the trees yeah. in the background as you run past I them. Still don't, I, I don't know how they did it. I don't know. Yeah, how it's they did incredible. It. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> how did they do that? Yeah, and it, it, it's full of so many flourishes like that. I mean, yeah. the, the honey dripping in the mm. in, in the hornet's nest uh, mm. that, that Brian just mentioned, for example, like it's just like. It's like sticking and oozing off the screen. It feels like it's it's stu- stuck to the inside of your TV screen, you know. And uh, there are the the submerged levels uh, in in the the sub let's say the submerged ships uh, where you you've got this crazy deep uh, line scrolling effect in the in the backgrounds, yeah. Yeah. like uh, on a different plane. And this is something that I was kind of excited to go back to because I've never played Donkey Kong Country two up until I started it this year. By the time when, uh, by the time this game came out, it was already. I think it was near the time that my brother got a PlayStation, and I started buying games for that. I was playing Doom on the PC pretty, uh, pretty uh, fervently. Um, I was looking forward to the N64 coming out. It's strange when you think about the, the Super Nintendo in Europe because I was so excited for when it came uh, when it came out, but it came out late. It came out in '92, so we we in those first two years of its life here. It burned very bright, and I feel like you know we had like two years of games from Japan and, and the U.S. to to catch up on in uh, 1992, and then by the end of '94, Donkey Kong, the first Donkey Kong Country had come out, and by '95, yeah, I kind of didn't play much on the Super Nintendo anymore. I was uh, on the PC and the, and the first PlayStation, so I was really excited to actually revisit these games that I've never played back in the days, just to see. You know, what's to, to see what, what they were like, uh, especially from a graphical perspective, actually. One of these things, like, you go back to this 1995 game, and it's just so impressive uh, on so many levels, just what they were able to do on the hardware. It, it impresses on that level. The evolution, like you alluded to, Ryan, and, and you built on McGill, that it didn't seem like leading up to that game and, and, and looking at the graphics and the previews and everything coming into it, like, it was just taking the same tech and moving it forward, but... Every little detail from from the idle animations to like just the spin up to Dick to Dixie's, you know, hair spin and, and everything, just the, the additional bonus levels and the things they were able to do with these just like the, the different types of enemies and what they throw at you from time to time and, and the wind effects and other things like that. It just it, it, from start to finish, it just it's it's a fully improved plot product to me. It just mm-hmm. it was taking everything that you could possibly learn from your first time out and just nailing that sophomore album. You know, that just that's the way that it yeah. feels to me. If if I would have one criticism about the graphics is that I think they sometimes are a little bit too intricate almost and mm. too, too too much filled with flourishes to where I feel like if you go back to the first Donkey Kong Country, it's a more readable game, uh, I think. Uh, I mean, once you're totally in tune with uh, Donkey Kong Country 2, like, you know, once it, it's mapped to muscle memory like it uh, has been to, to Darren, like what he was talking about, it's no longer an issue. But that first playthrough... It's not always entirely clear uh, where you exactly you can jump and and where you yeah. can go and um, so yeah and Donkey Kong Country Three suffers from the same sort of uh, <laughs> being graphically intricate almost to a to a fault. Speaking of um, it being a, a, a an overall better product than the first one, I I, I mentioned the the enemy design being like a, a more balanced and you know a smoother integration level to level i also feel it's the same for the bonus challenges and the the secret barrels i feel like they're in better places than the first game the first game it kind of alludes to 
you breaking open a wall and finding stuff just by it's felt like to me just by chance whereas in the second game it was like no you can actually feel the level design pulling you like yeah. you said but the, uh, more, the there are more clues in the uh, in the in the environment that's right, definitely yeah, yeah. but it, it doesn't really like just it doesn't really like slap you around the head and go there it is over there it kind of alludes to the fact that there might be something over there Whereas the first game was a bit more obtuse with it's like, oh, you've accidentally rolled a barrel into a wall and it's and it's popped open, or you've accidentally rambied into a wall or whatever, and it's opened up. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like the second game again. Not that I didn't, you know, wax lyrical about it enough a minute ago. Like even it's balancing, you know, it's balancing Act Four, uh, special barrels and secret rooms and stuff. It's just it's just better thought out in terms of level design than just uh, yeah, I'm just gushing about this game even more. But um, yeah, I, I do believe it's a more balanced product as well. So uh, speaking to some of those differences from the first game, uh, there are animal buddies in this game still. Uh, some of them return, Rambi the rhino and Guard the swordfish, and uh, Squawks the parrot return. Uh, Squawks has a very different role this time than she did last time. Uh, this time you get Squitter the spider, which is a very fun uh, creature that can uh, yeah. shoot webs that are not only offensive. I love him, Squitter. Yeah. <laughs> He's really one of my favorite he be- quickly became uh, one of my all-time favorite character designs. Just this goofy, <laughs> goofy, googly-eyed-looking spider with his uh, with his all-stars type sneakers on. Yeah, I love those. Like the, the 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 most cuddly tarantula I've ever seen in my life. Oh, when he takes a knock and all his legs go all over the place, it's just like, yeah. oh mate, you've definitely just been hit because your legs are all over the place. Like, oh, sorry, <laughs> that's just my guy. You know, I, I love him. I love Squitter. That's right, and he can create platforms in midair, which is very useful feels like cheating doesn't it like it when does. you put in a, de- <laughs> oh, a debug yeah. mode for sonic 2 and you just put platforms everywhere like this this guy is legitimizing that you're just like yeah i can just platform away across the <laughs> whole level if you wanted to and uh yeah it does feel a bit like cheating and it truly hurts when you lose him when uh when you know you're riding him and he gets hit by something there is uh rattly the snake which can jump up very high kind of replacing uh winky the frog from the last game there is a clapper the seal, which is a stationary creature that is perched above some water areas. You jump on its back, it'll breathe into the water and cool it down for a little bit if it's too hot. I think there's a couple other levels where it has different effects on the on the um, water, but it freezes. Mm. Uh, he freezes yeah, water there we as go. well. Yeah, freezes yeah. the water so you can walk on top of it. So yeah, I don't know. It's a uh, very situational. And then uh, Glimmer the Anglerfish, which uh, carries over from uh, one of the levels in Donkey Kong Country 1, in which Squawks was following you around with a flashlight. Uh, this this little anglerfish has a light on its, uh, on its dangly that it follows you around with and lights your path in a very dark underwater level. And uh, I always like this because when you turn around, it like shines straight at the camera. And for like one frame, it's just like bright white. Kind of like Who you got to... paused it on that one frame? So, differences from Donkey Kong Country 1. There are new bonus stages with bonus tokens used to purchase entrance into the Lost World, which is a kind of post-game world um, that is uh, entirely optional. Like uh, Super Mario World Star Road. Yeah, yeah that's what I was yeah. going to say. Yep. There are banana coins hidden throughout the levels, uh, another collectible to add to the list, um, that are used to purchase game saves, Funky's flights, etc., which you'll usually have enough of them but it's really frustrating when you need to save and you don't have enough banana coins <laughs> yeah there's something that wasn't present in the gba one because it's a handheld with potentially yeah. a battery that's about to fall on its bum yeah you could just save it whenever you wanted so it's kind of a bit of a non-issue there right uh mm. they added dk coins to this one or as they're called in the manuals cranky's video game hero coins uh, which are only <laughs> really used to increase the file completion percentage but uh, there's one hidden in each level I feel like those really come to their own in the next game, so we can talk about them there. 
Uh, at the end of the game, Cranky tallies up your total of DK coins and ranks you against Mario, Yoshi, and Link. Nice little uh, cameos <laughs> there. With Yoshi is a bigger, bigger hero than Link confirmed. <laughs> a couple other cameos: uh, Sonic shoes and Earthworm Jim's gun appear by a trash can, uh, which was removed in the Game Boy Advance version. You guys, you guys also clock that there is a blue hedgehog enemy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. 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 Swirls around. <laughs> Yeah, These stupid ones that spin around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, those guys are frustrating. Yeah, uh, they removed steel barrels and items hidden in the ground, which no great loss as far as I'm concerned. And uh, you can team throw this time, so you can pick up the character that you're not playing as, throw them up somewhere high to get get into a barrel or to get somebody secret from up above. Um, it's useful from time to time. Uh, so let's again talk about that final fight against Captain K. Rule this time around again with a K. This is another big boss fight, just like you got at the end of Donkey Kong Country 1, but this one I mm. think is even more difficult. Yeah, it's really trying, but I enjoyed it mm. a little bit more than uh, than the first yeah, boss fight. it's a fight. good fight. I think it's a little more readable. I think the first boss fight... I think so, yeah. When you when you threw his crown, you always knew to expect it, but like it never was like visually noticeable. Like It was always such a small projectile. Like I feel like yeah. everything here, like you at least have a chance of dodging yeah. it <laughs> and there's some some really tricky patterns but yeah. they also make me laugh at the same time yeah. i'm like come on is he now <laughs> shooting his gun and it's like the 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 the, the cannonball is just like flying around all crazy it's like around the screen making it sort yeah. of uh, yeah it, it, it makes it sound like a deflating balloon you know it's like <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm dying and laughing at the same time when i'm playing this boss fight i, I feel like this boss fight gets and this is gonna sound ridiculous but it gets a little more forgiving as it mm. goes yeah because that last stage where he's shooting those colored clouds like it's possible to get hit by his projectiles in that last stage and recover because like yeah. you either um yeah. you either are frozen or you're moving you know left is right right is left and reverse controls things like that so it does kind of have that feeling um i remember when i was playing through this time around I, I got to that last stage and i was i had i had both my kongs left and then i just got frozen and hit and then reverse moved and hits and just like so like in 30 seconds it went from the best run i could possibly do to just being dead i was so pissed off but um but yeah i mean it does give you that opportunity towards the end there and and throwing a little bit more variety into it i think was was Mm -hmm. was kind of neat i think this boss fight also sort of exemplifies what the donkey Kong country games are all about and that there's a lot of pattern learning once you've figured out the pattern you can sort of repeat it without dying too much or without making too many mistakes and a lot of the levels actually play out like that where your first time in a new level you're going to die a lot you know and then you start to learn the beats of the level you start to learn the patterns and then the next time you play it you you know you go through it uh, without much of a hitch at all actually yeah and again just like we said about the first game everything in this game is laid out so that if you're charging through at full speed and you hit the jump button at the right time like you're going to pretty much always hit the right timing between yeah. enemy yeah. cycles and stuff like that you're going to and you know it just feels really good and it looks really good to watch speed runs because it's just such a smooth and fluid game when you're at top speed uh, so again, to wrap up Donkey Kong Country 2, let's talk about briefly listing through some of the differences between the versions. Uh, the Game Boy Advance version added an exclusive boss called Kerosene. Uh, the Game Boy Advance version in- added 20 additional DK coins, which were awarded for completing Funky's Flights challenges, which are mini games in place of the uh, Funky's Flights because you could just kind of randomly warp around worlds um, without using Funky. So they replaced it. Uh, if you get first place in espresso racing levels, which are not good, I played. <laughs> no, they're not. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
uh, and uh, you fill out a scrapbook for Wrinkly Kong. That is just little extra collectibles hidden around the world. The Game Boy Advance version has new intro cutscenes, again based on uh, the prologue from the SNES version's manual, but animated. Game Boy Advance, you can now save or travel between worlds for free anywhere on the map. Game Boy Advance version has new minigames, Bag a Bug, and Espresso Racing, with gold feathers hidden in levels to help the player if they need help during the minigames. GBA has uh, scrapbooks, again, as we said, uh, hidden in the levels. Wrinkly Kong gives clues about their locations. Game Boy Advance removed screams from the soundtrack of Target Terror and Rickety Race, which is an interesting thing those were kind of the horror carnival levels in the original one you get some uh kind of screaming effects in the background i always thought of it as being kind of like roller coaster screams but you know they were pretty like blood curdling screams in a way and if uh yeah i i guess they might be might be scary for uh for some people so they they just remove them in the Game Boy Advance version, it's possible to get stuck if you fail Funky's practice round in Game Pl- Gangplank Galleon Funky will not award you the, the gyrocopter, which you need to travel between worlds. Uh, players will be able to continue making forward progress and move to further worlds upon beating bosses. But if they go back to a previous world when they're given uh, the ability to do so after beating a boss, uh, they will become stuck as they are no longer able to gyrocopter out of the world after beating a boss again. So if you go backwards without doing uh, Funky's training, you can get stuck and have to start your file all over again. So warning. Mm, I feel like I'm partly responsible for that. That's, <laughs> that's obscene. Calling you out. <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I look for as well. Like, so it's kind of like weird system mechanic kind of thing. Let's move on to Donkey Kong Country 3, Dixie Kong's Double Trouble. Donkey Kong Country 3 was released on the Super Nintendo between November and December of 1996, the year following Donkey Kong Country 2. Uh, released on the Wii Virtual Console in 2007 through 2008, the Wii U Virtual Console in October 2014 through February 2015, the new 3DS Virtual Console on uh, from May to June of 2016. Donkey Kong Land 3, which is the only game in the series to use Roman numerals instead of a number, very strange, uh, released on the Game Boy the following year, October of 97, and released on the Game Boy Color in Japan in uh, january of 2000 so they got their land in uh, in full color well as full of color as the game boy color allows mm-hmm. uh, donkey kong country 3 came out on the game boy advance in uh, 2005 uh, and that version i think i guess we should probably call this out up front is significantly different than uh mm-hmm. than the super nintendo version so if you've played the super nintendo version and uh I don't know, maybe you want some more of it. Maybe you want a different soundtrack the Game Boy Advance version can provide. We'll uh, touch back on that later. Donkey Kong Country 3 was released by Rareware and published by Nintendo, directed again by Tim Stamper, designed by Andrew Collard, who is also the producer, and Paul Weaver, had Mark Stevenson and Neil Crook as the artists, and it was composed primarily by Evelyn Fisher uh, for the SNES and Game Boy versions, and oddly enough, um, David Wise came back and completely rescored the game when they released it on Game Boy Advance, um, probably to keep it more in line with the past Donkey Kong Country series. And we'll uh, get on to what we think about the soundtrack. I think it's going to be an interesting discussion. <laughs> the reviews are still pretty strong. Super Nintendo, this one got an 83.24% across critics. The Game Boy Advance version got a 75.08. And the Game Boy version, Donkey Kong Land 3, got an 81.25. The sales... 
This sold 3.51 million units on the Super Nintendo. It uh, sold 1.03 million on the Game Boy. User reviews, this one is at an 8 out of 10 from a significantly lower number of 794 reviews on IMDb. So um, in this game, both Donkey and Diddy Kong are missing. So it's up to Dixie Kong, one of the heroes from the last game, to partner up with, is this a cousin, maybe? Uh, Kitty Kong, (laughs) somehow related. Uh, Kitty Kong, who is a uh, a giant baby monkey. Yeah. (laughs) He has a lot of character. He has uh, a lot of animation. He's got um, a very, I I think his power set is probably more differentiated than the two power sets have ever been in uh, past yeah. Donkey Kong yeah, Country sure. game. There's some really interesting um, distinctions there, which we'll, uh, we'll definitely get into. This game has a, uh, again, a very different setting and aesthetic, but I feel like this one is a little bit harder to really kind of pin down what they're going for. It has more of a kind of woodsy redwood forest mm-hmm. type of yeah. feel to yeah. a lot of it with uh with some kind of like factory elements. It's in the northern hemisphere, right? So yep. it's like yep. yeah. So that that's basically sum, sums up the the theme for you. Yeah, we, so we all know what the like, northern hemisphere is like, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and I think this game when you said uh the first game was about the jungle and mm-hmm. uh, the industry and the second game was about pirates and hor- and horror, this game is about sort of yeah, northern scenic nature. Uh I think yeah, big yeah. lakes. Pinewood forest, snowy mountaintops. Yeah, when I start, I started playing it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I think it felt oddly right for the season as well. This autumn, autumn season uh, around oh, yeah. the corner, you know. That's fair. Uh, yeah, I was really vibing with this game in uh, in so many ways. I think it's probably not unfair to say that this game is a bit of a black sheep in the series. Yeah. Overall, I know that I, I want to avoid making uh, strong generalizations, but just kind of the general sense that I get from. The community is that this game isn't as well regarded as the previous two games, and we will yeah, uh, definitely. I also get that same impression. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely talk about why. I think you know I have more mixed opinions on this one than I do the previous games, um, but uh, I I just remember again going back to you know being a kid, like I I own this player's guide. I loved 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 reading it over and over, cover to cover, from you know many many times. It's. I, I think the enemy design is again really strong. The animation is is a lot like bouncier, a lot more cartoony, a lot more. Mm. I feel like everything feels like meatier and chunkier uh, than in previous Donkey Kong games. But it's um yeah it's it's significantly different feeling. I would say what we spoke about in the about uh, when we talked about Donkey Kong Country Two is of course it's full embrace of the the pirate uh, setting and the, the Kremlings uh, being all being pirates. Here, I feel like there's some very strong individual Kremlin designs, mm-hmm. but I think in general that it seems almost like they didn't really know what to do with the Kremlings yeah. in the setting. Yeah, you know, yeah, they, they didn't dress them all uh, dress them all up like lumberjacks or anything like that. Yeah, it's right. just like they're a bit all over the place. I, I think that's what 
Donkey Kong Country 3 suffers from the most, honestly. And I'm not going to be completely negative on it. I think this game has some amazing mm-hmm. highs. Mm-hmm. But just the, the, the cohesiveness of the worlds and, and, and the thematic elements of this game really kind of fall apart very early for me. Um, in, in that first world that you're in, the Lake Orangutanga, it's kind of a lake world and a forest world. But then it also has a snow level. And then you're inside a factory for one of them. Like, it doesn't have that same cohesiveness as the last as the previous two entries of the game for me. And for me, that kind of took me out of it because I felt like I didn't not that I didn't know what to expect, but just that like I didn't have some believability is a weird term to use with monkeys rolling around. <laughs> but it, it didn't it didn't feel like a like a real place to me as as well as the the previous mm. two environments had. And that kind of t- took me out of it right from the beginning a little bit. And it would right. constantly bring me back in because it would have like a like a like a like a razor sharp platforming section or just like, you know, or a new mechanic that's like, oh, that was a really neat idea. And and it'll bring me back in. And then it kind of just kept losing me because I didn't really love where I was, if that makes sense. I disagree with you on the the setting and the environments. I think it's more the the in the enemy design where the, the cohesion is sort of sort of lost. I mean, the the world map is way more involved than the the previous games, for, sure. for example, as well. And and it, there's a very strong sense of location there. But there's some just some real odd stuff in it. I mean, the surreal psychedelic madness of banana birds uh, yeah, that that just scarred me for life, basically. Let's get into some of the differences here. Um, I just want to highlight a couple differences from um, Donkey Kong Country Two. This game has a free roam open world, which is surprising. Uh, it's no mm. no longer a Mario three style map that you just kind of like you know flick between areas. You're you're yeah. walking kind of freely in this big open world, and you're riding vehicles, yeah. and there are things you can interact with in the environment. In exactly, between levels. I found to my surprise that there's some pixel hunting. Even yeah, in, uh, yeah, for sure. In there. Yeah, yeah, and you can even go through certain worlds out of order. You can uh, choose. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes they'll give you a choice between two yeah. worlds that you can take at a time. Yeah, I did. I did find myself once you kind of upgrade the craft. And I know we'll talk about it a little bit. You kind of have a hovercraft mm-hmm. and a ski craft and um, uh, and a boat and these other things. But once you kind of upgrade and kind of go all over the, all over the map, I, I went to every corner of that map, pixel hunting, looking for caves, looking for <laughs> secrets and stuff like it, that's yeah. some of the more fun parts of Donkey Kong Country for me is, is seeking out those little hidden areas. So um, so being able to do that kind of on your world map was was, I thought, a pretty neat touch. I think parts of it were a little frustrating. Like it took me a long time to get to be able to go up waterfalls reliably. Okay. I feel like that didn't work as well as I was hoping it would. But uh, for the most Mm. part, it's I think it's a fine addition. It slows things down a little bit in ways that I don't feel like it. I feel like it kind of took away from the pacing more than it added to the sense of exploration. But it did give you a more kind of tangible sense of connection with the world. So you know, I can kind of take or leave it. I do st- again think that uh, think that it sort of fits in nicely with the more laid back, yeah. out in the outdoors sort of uh, atmosphere that this game exudes for me. There is a long trading quest um, with several of the characters yeah. in the games. You run into these brother bears throughout the game, uh, just these bears yeah. that run various different shops, and they all want different items and so you go on this long kind of trading tree uh, of items throughout the game so this i believe unlocks like the final uh like secret post game world uh if i remember correctly yeah it, it unlocks certain areas it uh gets gets you banana birds uh, mm-hmm. uh d- different different effects on the world yeah yeah any thoughts about the bears or the trading quest in particular 
I didn't engage with it probably as much as I, I would have if I if I had played as a younger uh, person. Yeah. Um, I came to this game later because I asked for this game for Christmas that year, and my parents very, very generously got my brother and I a Nintendo 64. So I didn't actually play this until much later on. And so I think that if this was a game that I had had in my youth with more time and less options at my disposal, I definitely would have engaged with it more. But this time yeah. I went through, and I think I did maybe the first four or five bears shops like i found the item and then would get it back and but i never did the the last one like the getting the wrench to activate the ski lift to go up the mountain like like a couple of those ones i i missed out on so there's definitely some part of that game that that i I missed out on i think that at a different time in my life i probably would have engaged with it more but i didn't find it as interesting this time around yeah more than the previous games there's a lot of optional content here there's a lot of post game content here a longer ending right like Mm -hmm. or a real ending yeah Uh, There are some uh, different animal buddies this time around. There are some uh, returners, Engard the Swordfish, Squawks the Parrot, and Squitter the Spider return, Uh, along with Quawks, which is different than Squawks. It's a bird that (laughs) I think can only descend, and I think you can slow the deceleration or something like that. Uh, No, no, no. uh, The only difference with, uh, with Squawks is that instead of coughing up nuts... He um, can pick up barrels. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and that's... Uh, drop drop them on uh, yeah. on enemies. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And if I was really thrown off because the first time you encounter him is in a weird uh, low gravity tunnel, mm. and he because of the low gravity, he's not affected by the inertia near, nearly as much. Oh yeah, as he otherwise would have. Uh, yeah. That uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really weird to to get the grips with him. So I wasn't I wasn't sure if he just controlled differently or if it was just the uh, environmental effect and then a more significant addition to the crew of animal buddies is ellie the elephant which i really like yeah <laughs> this elephant there's so many mechanics built onto this uh elephant as well it can uh, it can suck up water and spit it from the from its trunk it can pick up barrels and throw them it can swim on top of the water runs away at full speed when it sees rats because it's yeah. scared of them like there's just a lot going on here she's offensively cute yeah. she <laughs> yeah. she 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 absolutely entranced my toddler i was playing on the i played this virtual console on the wii on the wii u so my toddler was sitting in my lap and i was playing on the gamepad and he was entranced with ellie loved her and then she squeaked and ran away from the mouse and my toddler just got up screaming and running away <laughs> because it just scared it scared him half to death you know it just um it, she just has she she emotes so well and I, I, that's yeah. another thing with a lot of the characters particularly in three they got they got those animations so well ryan you talked about it earlier like like they, you can just they emote so much better and, and you could really feel that with her like she was getting a little scared or, or and then like when sucking up the barrel she just has that grin on her face I don't know I I loved Ellie the elephant I unlocked one post game level and there you play as Ellie and you basically she she gets fired into a group of rats she screams and the rest of the level you're yeah. <laughs> careening forward and you have to navigate that level like a, like a hell ride <laughs> very clever yeah the only drawback drawback to ellie i found uh except for that she's scared of rats uh, is that uh, I was expecting her like Rambi to be able to jump on spiky enemies uh, or, or enemies that you oh, could, yeah, could normally not that. jump yeah. on but she she can't unfortunately Let's talk about the main characters. Uh, we are familiar with Dixie Kong. I don't think this game really brings anything new to Dixie Kong's arsenal. So. But uh, Kitty Kong is an entirely new, an entirely new character to unpack. So not only is he very aesthetically different, um, but he yeah. he brings back Donkey Kong Country one split between. 
kind of stronger, weaker characters, as well as he has all sorts of different abilities. He can skip on top of water, which is yeah. very difficult to pull off, I would say. Like, because you have that Diddy jump already where you can roll off of a platform and jump in midair, yeah. it's really hard to roll off the platform and jump on the water instead of just jumping in midair. Like, it's, I don't know, it just feels mm. very precise and very difficult to pull off. Yeah, you, you, have to, you really have to hit the water at a very spe- specific point, yeah. yeah. Kitty Kong also seems to get a lot of hate from a lot of people, but I have a thing for subversive character designs, and mm. I just love the fact that the big lumbering character is a big baby you know and he's just so so joyful and his idle animations are so funny where he starts pulling the sock off his uh of his mm-hmm. uh, of his onesie uh yeah <laughs> i had a i have a lot of time for for kitty yeah he has that um <laughs> that thing that only like a young creature or young animal can have like like that barrel-headed enthusiasm that but you just feel like he's gonna run into every wall he comes up against and kind of like fall yeah. over on his own feet like he just like mm-hmm. he's exactly ma- he's made of round edges because you know he's just gonna bounce off everything that he comes up against like it, it, yeah. it was fun playing and i did feel is the sound clip of kitty in the barrel the exact same as diddy in the barrel because it sounds almost exactly the same and it it kind of took me out of it every once in a while i felt like i would hear diddy kong in the level maybe that was just a uh, brian problem yeah i don't know but like but when he was alone and dixie wasn't there i did get that pang in my heart of like is he gonna be all right <laughs> like, like she needs to get <laughs> she needs to get back here to protect him like i i had that like anytime he wasn't around i felt either that i needed to get dixie back to take care of him or hmm. if he was gone i'm like i gotta rescue that kid from the barrel <laughs> like i just i had this this sense of anxiety. maybe that's a parent thing yeah, i don't know like but, he uh, can't be yeah. alone yeah exactly yeah i was i was yeah. i was constantly worried about him but also thrilled to have him around like um a ton of personality in that character that well, there's I just a lot of peril in this game as well like i feel like this game puts you in more dangerous outright situations than the previous game like when you are running away from a saw that's cutting down the tree that you're currently platforming with him like that's pretty scary (laughs) yeah Uh, there's yeah there's there's a a few of those levels in this game where just yeah like you said it it puts you puts puts the kongs in some pretty imminent danger yeah despite this this game having an overall lighter atmosphere than uh dkc2 yeah let's uh let's talk about the graphics here I feel like the graphics are a bit of a step down from the previous games. There's no more kind of like cool lighting effects like we saw in DKC2. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really feel like there's that many kind of flourishes, you know? Um, and then there's there's no more stuff moving in front of the camera like there was in Donkey Kong Country 1. It just feels like a lot of the kind of extras were, were stripped back for this one. Yeah. I see it as this game being less uh, showboaty and yeah. more, more conf- confident in its delivery of, uh, of the graphics, actually. Because there is some really cool stuff, but it's it's less in-your-face, twinkly, flourishy than, uh, than DKC2. So, but there's still some really nice effects, like, for example... The lakes uh, that you know are go on off into the distance towards mm-hmm. the horizon, and you can hop underwater. It's uh, yeah, I think it's still still a really great looking game. And you can for for me, you can really see that Rare had really gotten their pre rendered graphics technique down by this point. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it does look good. I do agree with Ryan though that there's it lacks some. I don't want to call it polish because it, it is a polished game, but it lacks some of the the finer maybe detail points pizzazz. that yeah, yeah pizzazz. That's maybe that's the best word for it. And I'm yeah. curious, and again, this is again presumption. That's what I'm very good at doing is presuming things. But I wonder if there were any resources from Rare that were already devoted to the next gen console. That I wonder. I wonder how oh, much yeah. of the same team carried over from one to the other if they had the same manpower. Uh, working on three there's definitely a bit of a shift in teams uh from the fr- from the the second to the third game yeah yeah because this came out the same year as the n64 
N64 released. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. really. And, and Wrinkly, Wrinkly Kong is playing a Nintendo yeah. 64 for much of the game. <laughs> but yeah. by the time this, this game came out, I didn't even have a Super Nintendo anymore. We sold our uh, Super wow. Nintendo off with all, oh, with all wow, our games yeah. to buy the, buy the new generation of consoles. I bet you there were a lot of households like that that did the same thing. Let's talk also about the music because, again, this one being led by Evelyn Fisher instead of uh, David Wise, it's a, um, it has a very different sound to it. I think there mm. are a few really, really beautiful pieces in here. Um, mm. A, a lot yeah. of the kind of quieter, more subdued stuff. But I feel like in general, the soundtrack is kind of ranges from forgettable to offensive sometimes. And I would say the very first level makes a strong negative impression every time I play <laughs> yes. it. Yep. Starts out with that. Dun, 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 dun. Like, oh, geez. That where we are now. <laughs> the way I interpret it is, I think they wanted to Evelyn Fisher maybe wanted to go back a little bit more to the more atmospheric, ambient tracks of the first Donkey Kong Country, as opposed mm-hmm. to the more catchy tracks of the second one. Yeah. But yeah, maybe in some points it falls a bit too short, and not everything leaves as big of an impression. Some of the tracks are maybe a little bit overly minimalist. But there are some definitely some good tracks in there. One particular favorite, uh, which includes a motif of one of the Donkey Kong Country 2 tracks, is uh, the very percussion-driven uh, track where you're... Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those uh, levels where you're... It's used in those levels where you're scaling up a cliffside of a mountain. Yeah, I was just... Yeah. That's the exact one I was going to talk about. It was, it's in the world K3, and you're going from yeah. you're from rope to rope, kind of going up the top. Uh, yeah, some some of those tracks are are, are bangers for me, and I yeah. think it's just... It's more of a set of... A series of highs and lows um, than uh, as opposed to the previous two soundtracks where I think I would view the whole thing kind of as a complete, you know, positive, so... Another one of the big differences with this game is uh, that DK coins are now done entirely differently. Instead of just being spinning coins that you pick up in a level, they are attached to shields being held by stationary enemies that have a little kind of like rolling barrel puzzle that you have to solve if you want to defeat them, which I think is brilliant. Like these are always a real highlight for me. Like I love very neat. Yeah. uh, Oftentimes, like I feel like they repeat kind of the same puzzle and the same setup a little bit too often um but there are some really brilliant setups here and uh sometimes you have to set up like a whole kind of rube goldberg machine of of uh barrel bounces to try to get this uh this enemy to be looking away from the direction where the shield where the uh <laughs> barrel is coming so that his shield is pointing away and then when he dies the yeah. dk coin pops off his shield and you can collect it I, I love that little guy holding the DK coin shield with his bucket on his head yeah. and just yeah. kind of hiding from you. I think he's just, I just, I like that whole, it, it was neat to, rather than spending the entire level, like in Donkey Kong Country 2, looking for the coin, you know, you know, it's going to come pretty much at the end of the level. Yeah. You kind of have an idea, you, but you're going to get this kind of, like you said, this weird kind of set piece puzzle every single time. Some of them are just simple, <laughs> bounce off the back wall, but some of them were pretty involved. So I, I did, I like that as well. It's cool. I also love that little guy until the penultimate level uh, of the whole game <laughs> where they, they recolored his sprite and made him the most annoying thing mm-hmm. in, oh, yeah. in the whole game. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I've spent yesterday on the Kenner's Twitch channel plug, I spent one full hour without save states, <laughs> of course, on original hardware trying to beat that level. One full hour I was going at it. Again, it culminates in a final fight against K. Rule. I don't know whether 
we as the viewers are supposed to understand that this is him putting on silly costumes or whether these are like brothers or something. This one has a different last name, which is always... Baron K. Rulenstein. Yeah. <laughs> There's a the- there is a theory on all the Donkey Kong Country fan wikis mm-hmm. that uh, he has a multiple uh, personality disorder. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, yeah. I think it's relevant because uh, in the dialogue, which this one does have for some reason, uh, he mentions having a wife, which if this is the same K. Rule, then does that mean that there is a Mrs. K. Rule somewhere out there? I think it's an Im- imaginary wife. Probably He, he probably role plays as his wife as well. Yeah, we've probably all does there. the Alfred Hitchcock psycho thing. <laughs> yeah, that's his fourth personality we never see is is Mrs. K. Rulenstein. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's also one of those odd things. Like some somehow the tone is a little bit all over the place yeah. of the game yeah. and the enemy design where we said because now all of a sudden he's a Baron Fra- uh, you know like a, a Doctor Frankenstein uh, a like character and he references uh, Scooby Doo cartoons. This is an odd fight. You fight in a laboratory um there is a kind of a reoccurring enemy throughout the game i think you only find him a couple of times but it's a a giant robot that is chaos yeah yeah um that's a, a nightmarish the, face yeah that serves as yeah. the boss to a couple of worlds i think it's a um like a terminator riff in a way uh but it's they're pretty fun fights and so you go into the final boss fight and this thing descends and you pretty quickly dispatch it and then the real final boss comes out, you know, it's, oh, it's been K. Roll the whole time. He comes out from behind a curtain, kind of like in Wizard of yeah. Oz. And uh, you have a a fight with, um, he's hovering around the arena with a little helicopter thing on his back. Uh, you have to throw barrels at the little helicopter pack, which is a pretty tiny hitbox, but it's 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 doable. It's kind of fun. And I found it actually the easiest K rule fight of the, of the series. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I think it's the easiest one too. I, I actually really like this boss fight. Um, and a lot of it, and again, not to try to get negative, but it's in contrast to the rest of the boss fights in this game, which I think are, are poor at best. Um, but, but yeah, this fight, it was a nice ending. Like it was actually, as I f- played through, I think two or three days ago, I felt like I was really learning with each playthrough with the, with each attempt. And, and unlike the other uh, fights, I felt like there wasn't much of an attempt to like swindle me with a pattern. Hmm. It was just kind of, you know, like I felt like a, you know, you, you learn it, you move on and it, it didn't throw that change up at you as much as it, as it did in other games, which I personally appreciated. I kind of disagree with you, Brian, on the, okay. the boss fights in this game. Yeah, I, I think they're a little bit more. There's a little bit more to them than in previous Donkey Kong Country games. Actually, they're a little bit more puzzly. You have to sort of figure out what to do. I mean, they're still not prime example of uh, prime examples of yeah. of boss fights in uh, into the side scrollers. I, I but, fully uh, yeah. I, I kind of like them on the whole the yeah. most, maybe except for the odds. But I kind of enjoyed the the surprise of that. The odd snowball fight uh, against this uh, <laughs> yeah. bad, bad Mr. Frosty of, uh, of Clay Fighter. I did think the uh, the boss fight at the waterfall was pretty creative, though, where you use the elephant, yeah. you suck up the water from the waterfall, oh, yeah, and then spit cool. it in its eyes. Sure. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Squirt water in its eyes. Yeah, and it's, it's one, not, yeah. It wasn't a fight where you sort of lose hit points either, mm-hmm. so you just had to be careful not to be uh, yeah. Yeah, pushed off the stage. Yeah, it was pretty easy. Um, but I, yeah. I thought it was, it was fun. It was a nice break. And the young guard, uh, boss fight was also kind of fun with, uh, with the, the shellfish ar- urchin kind of thing. I found that one to be a bit fiddly. It's always, I felt it to be a little bit unpredictable, like whether the thing registered as being open or closed when open you Open or it. closed. <laughs> yep. But yeah, there's some, uh, I think 
this game swings for the fences with its bosses a lot more than the previous games did. Yeah. And I gotta I gotta applaud that. Some very creative stuff. Yeah, in I here. think there's a, there's more thought put behind uh, yeah. most of the boss fights in this game. Yeah. So on the whole, I think Donkey Kong Country 3 is an easier game than Donkey Kong Country 2, which mm-hmm. uh, had me uh, stuck on one level for, for long stretches. But there is, yeah, that, that one level that I was going at for one hour yesterday, that really <laughs> took the cake of anything I've played in the whole series uh, so far. Yeah. Um, and then there's, feels like there's more kind of like one-off distractions this time around. There's levels that put you against a timer. There's levels mm-hmm. that... Uh, Oh yeah, there's the the race, yeah. uh, the lakeside race as well. Yep. Yeah, yeah, the race. There's levels that uh, that reverse your controls. Like there's a lot of, uh, I think a yeah. lot of that was gimmick stages, as, well. as people call them in this in this game in particular, uh, which I don't mind. Yeah. I like a, lo- a lot of them up. are concentrated in the in the last world. Mm. So there's also the the lightning level there, right? Which I heard people speak about, and I thought it was going to be super hard, but I fairly quickly made my way through that one. That's yeah, fine if you take it slow. Yeah. You just need to pay attention to where the where the lightning is going to strike. Yeah, but overall, I just feel like there's less of a flow, less coherency and consistency in this game than there is in previous games. But still, you know, even a quote unquote bad Donkey Kong Country game is still a pretty damn good game. So yeah, yeah, sure. I really enjoyed my time with it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, differences between versions. The Game Boy version Donkey Kong Land 3 had a new set of worlds, as uh, all the previous games did, um, that kind of only roughly followed the progression of the Super Nintendo game. Uh, the Game Boy version, um, Japan's version of Land 3, as we mentioned, was built for Game Boy Color instead of the original Game Boy. The Game Boy Advance version, also as we mentioned, had an entirely new soundtrack composed by David Wise. And the Game Boy Advance version had a new world, Pacifica, including a new boss. Before wrapping up entirely, I wanted to briefly mention, because it'd be weird to not mention it, that uh, there was a CG animated TV series that ran on Fox Family from 1997 mm-hmm. to 2000, which I used to own one of the VHS copies of. I used to watch when it was on oh, really? TV. Wow. It wasn't great. And even as a kid, I knew that it like it was pretty. Excuse the pun, but bottom of the barrel. But <laughs> we we thankfully didn't get that over there, over here. <laughs> it's I would say it's worth watching in the same way that like the Legend of Zelda cartoon is worth watching. It's a very interesting take on the oh, characters. Okay. I've seen uh, I've seen I've seen some uh, some clips of it, and uh, the the 3D modeled characters look nightmarish in it. Yeah, they don't look great. Candy Kong got a super weird redesign. I don't really know what the whole direction was but it's just it's it's very strange the yeah the characters don't look great i think the kremlings come out looking a bit better than the uh than the kongs do Mm. everyone talks which is odd donkey kong sounds younger than you would expect him to he sounds more kind of like a (laughs) punk kid you know uh kind of like a sonic the hedgehog type when when he started talking um and uh every episode has musical numbers some of which are very amusing (laughs) Check it out on YouTube. It's oh, I've, it's, I, well, it's on my it's on my agenda for the evening now. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, there's some stuff <laughs> in particular. Look at the music video of Donkey Kong. He's tricked into thinking he's a pirate Kremlin at some point, and somebody like <laughs> one of the other Kremlings is doing the like Groucho Marx mirror thing with him, and it's uh, it's very funny. Anyways, that's that. 
We're moving on to the community feedback now, and we have more than we can uh, read because we're running short on time. But if you want to catch up with the entire feedback thread, that is over at canonrinse.com slash forum, where we have threads for all past and future Canon Rinse podcasts uh, that you can feedback on if you'd like to be a part of the conversation. Anyways, Dusk versus Tweak says, I remember seeing a demo station for the first Donkey Kong Country. My mom had taken me and my two younger siblings to get Christmas photos taken, and we were at the department store all day. I remember after her saying that we were the best behaved she had ever seen for that long. It's because of the demo. I couldn't believe my eyes when I first saw the game. That first level was impressive enough, but then it switched to night, and then the rain started to fall and lightning flashed. While the first game had you running through levels, the second game always felt like you were climbing out of levels, just trying to break the surface. Water levels were less serene and more dangerous, with scary, tense music. It could make someone feel lonely and trapped. Magical Isopod, about Donkey Kong Country 3, says, Not quite as good as DKC2, as this one always felt a little bit more cartoonish to me, but I really loved just how much secret content there was in the game. I usually don't like collectathon elements in games, but it's done so well and so cleverly here that without a guide, you wouldn't even know that a true ending exists. I really like this game for that. At the time, being 12 or 13 years old, it felt so very cryptic, like I was part of some secret society, seeing a part of a game that I wasn't meant to see. Jobo Bonobo, also on Donkey Kong Country 3, says, Levels themselves were bursting with creative ideas, such as escaping a giant saw while climbing a redwood, keeping a predatory fish fed so he leaves you alone, navigating a factory while avoiding the crosshairs of a sniper. The list goes on and on. No Donkey, no Diddy, no David Wise, but this was a fun experimental end to a trilogy of platformers that transformed Rare into a true household name for gamers the world over. Shields says, It wasn't until years later when a friend gave me a retro pie, I discovered that my wife, a longtime sufferer of my gaming fandom, had 101% of Donkey Kong Country. We fired it up thinking to myself there was no way this story was true, and then she pointed out where every cave, every KONG, every single animal medal, what a surprise. It remains her only video game she ever played to death. Toonskatoon says, Time may not have impacted my sweat glands or my love of the Kong, Critter, and Crocodile cast, but it has changed my point of view on the graphics, which impressed me then and repulsed me now, and the music, which I was indifferent to then, I adore now. And Mr. Ixalite, who says, What once looked cutting-edge now gave the game a, a grubby and weird artificial sheen, as if you were playing in a fuzzy diorama, which I'm not sure was the intent. Overall, I couldn't help but yearn for some clean, simple sprites. The presentation may have also bled into some of my gameplay grievances. I was often unable to accurately judge enemy hitboxes or the placement of the ledges, and as a result would often careen headfirst into enemies or pits. All right, so let's go through the three-word reviews. Brian, would you mind starting us off? Alex79UK says, they're just brilliant. Jobo Bonobo, appropriate for this series of games, says, Animal Buddies Rock. Skatoon, distinct knuckle draggers. Sixel Sid says spiders so strong. And Ashton Herman wraps it up with the donkeyest Kong. <laughs> that is true. That's all we ever ask. <laughs> In summary, let's uh, give our thoughts on the entire series. Let's try to keep things brief because we're already running very long. We had a lot of games to cover today. So uh, um, whether or not we would recommend people revisit all three of these games uh, t- today, however 
however they can. Hopefully they're added to the Switch soon, but until yeah, then, hopefully. there are plenty of virtual consoles and emulation ways to, to play these games. So, Brian, what, would, what are your takeaways from the Donkey Kong Country trilogy? I'm going to attempt to make this my briefest summary yet in saying that I played through all three of these on the Wii U virtual console, which as of right now is still up and open and available for you to get these games. Uh, they're each $7.99, and I think that there is absolutely no... No, no way I would not recommend these to, to, to anybody who enjoys platforming. There was a sense that I was playing when I was playing through these games that I was playing through a section of platforming history that is, is significant for so many different ways, uh, many of which we've already talked about. Uh, but graphically, musically and gameplay wise, there was n- at no point when I was playing all three of these games did I w- would I have rather been playing anything else. I wasn't thinking about other games. I wasn't thinking about what I could be doing other than playing these. Didn't feel like a chore to play to prepare for the show. I think 100% I could recommend all three of these games because they all have their charm and they really do have some incredibly fun and satisfying platforming that has not aged poorly at all. Uh, my own thoughts on this, of course, are modeled up in playing these games for my entire life pretty much um i've played through the donkey kong country trilogy especially one and two more times than i can i can count probably but i still i still think that they hold up you know and i don't think it's just nostalgia talking i think that there is legitimately good game feel you know i think that the games are still just kind of innately uh rewarding to roll through enemies to get that nice feedback to spend time in these beautiful worlds to to jump and all the jumps feel so precise everything feels so perfectly attuned to these characters and their specific skill sets uh, which became more and more impressive as the skill sets became more diverse as the series went on it's up there with like Rayman Legends for me of a game where everything just kind of works the way you want it to work. You feel you don't feel disconnected from the characters at any point, really. Like everything just everything just works out of the box. It's it's a uh, yeah, it, it feels good. The music is amazing. The the graphics are still really nice if you can kind of get over the uh the pixel graininess um, that you get on the modern TVs. And um Overall, like I would, I would really love, and I would be very curious to see if they kept the original 3D models and made like a upscaled remake using those same assets, but just you know, much, much, much enlarged sprites to play on 4K screens or whatever. Like, I would be very curious to see this game translated into a more modern context because I feel like a lot of the things that this series did have been kind of lost in the new Donkey Kong Country games on the Wii and the Wii U. They do feel quite a bit different, yeah. Yeah, those games fall more into the mold of the kind of action-packed, cartoony, bouncy, you know, mile-a-minute platformers that you get from that the original Donkey Kong Country was kind of a subversion to. And so I don't feel like there's really, you know, anything that occupies the same space as the old Donkey Kong Countries. I, I still love the new donkey Kong country return series and tropical freeze of course but um it's just it's not the same as these old games and so for that reason i would say that uh they are worth experiencing and they are worth going back to um because you know especially donkey Kong country 2 like there are very few games that play quite like that does even now anyways mikhil i think by all means uh, donkey Kong country 
would have just been that game that would have been incredibly technically impressive when it came out. Uh, but now when you go back to it, uh, it uh, doesn't hold up at all. But that's certainly not the case. Like you already uh, also said, Ryan, uh, it's not just a case of nostalgia because all three of these games have very well designed levels uh, that are unique to play. Like they have a, a very unique style to them. They have very a very interesting uh, level design ethos, brilliant music. And I'm saying that as somebody that has only real nostalgic feelings for the first Donkey Kong Country games uh, game, as I uh, that was the only one I played back in the days. That also makes me feel, you know, it's this thing if you a game that you played in your formative years sort of stays with you, it becomes a part of you. So that also means that it's the game I have the most deeply rooted affinity with. But when I go back to DKC two and three. I went into it with uh, a whole different pair of eyes and ears and just to experience, you know, the, the hardware pushing that was going on, the cohesive themes and just the mastery at work there. Uh, rare, rare, uh, we're definitely no slouch. And yeah, I mean, DKC2 is probably the most well-rounded game in the series. The deepest, uh, it's, it's, it works its theming out to a T and... Yeah, it just it just fires on all cylinders, but both the first and the third game still have so much to them uh, to enjoy, and I can only fully agree with you, Ryan, that uh, these are yeah some some real unique titles in the the the, the wider two D platforming genre that back to be still back to be played if you haven't already, or back to be revisited if you did. Awesome, thank you. It just remains for me, Ryan, to thank Brian, Darren, and McKeel as well as our correspondence, plus, of course, you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, head to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Rinse and get every Canon Rinse podcast a week earlier than everyone else, um, and often an extended version, as uh, this one is going to be. <laughs> it's uh, a lot of games to get through, um, as well as an exclusive monthly podcast. Next time, in issue 390, lightning never strikes twice, but maybe three times starting with Final Fantasy 13, 